so many hungry faces. Well, you've come to the right place. Everyone knows the best food in the world is made here in Paris. And tonight, the toast of the town, Chef Rami, will prepare for you a culinary masterpiece. Anyone can cook, but no one cooks like Chef Rami. Welcome to episode 13 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I am Andrew Williamson and I am joined today by Jeff Dodds from DLP Town Square. Hello. Normally it's Simon that says that, it's so weird. Um, each Magical Disneyland Paris podcast will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on the newest e-ticket attraction, Ratatouille. We also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. Hello, how are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you uh, very much for stepping in on this podcast. We didn't want to spoil it for Simon, so we've kind of sacked him for this episode. Uh, he should probably just go on the ride, really. Well, we've been, I've been trying for years since the uh, Ratatouille attraction opened, and he still hasn't got there yet. It's been two years. It's been two years. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Um, before we do start going straight into uh, the attraction, I want to mention to our listeners that the first time, I met, well, the first and only time that I've met Jeff was when we when I first went on the Ratatouille attraction for the first time in 2015, I want to say it now. It was. Uh, March 2015. So if we keep mentioning things that happened or events from that day, I do apologise. But my first ever ride, so he kind of popped my cherry on Ratatouille. <laughs> Look at the sound effects as well. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it, Jeff? It was lovely. It was a nice, crisp spring day. It was enjoyable. And then we went to see all the spring things. And we stood on our phone, talking to each other over Twitter. Of course. <laughs> so, Ratatouille, we'll start with a brief history of the attraction. We'll then look at the attraction scene by scene, area by area. And then obviously we'll look at what possibly could happen in the future, if anything. And then we'll go over to the listener opinions um, see if you guys agree or disagree. So, originally, officially anywhere, Jeff, Disneyland Paris didn't mention anything about Ratatouille until 2013. I think it was March 2013. I think so. The first I remember was a press release hitting, I think it was, I think it came through in 2013, but we were not allowed to publish it until midnight 2014. Is there, I can't remember being a date on that. It must have been, because obviously you are more important than I am in the Disneyland Paris world. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> but yeah, but there was there was kind of hints before then, though, like three or four years before that date when it was officially announced <laughs> of Ratatouille actually coming to Disneyland Paris, wasn't there? Yeah, there were several big hints, mostly being the fact that they put Gusto's head just outside Toy Story Playland. Like the head actually was on the arch, wasn't it, of the walkway as you go through? Um, the, was yeah. it the barrels at the end of so, Toy Story Playland? Yeah. So they had the barrel of monkeys that you that you could go through before they blocked it up for the construction. And on the other side, they had a nice Parisian sort of uh, facade on the end of the uh, at the end of the tunnel, and Parisian streetlights going all the way down the street to where Buzz Lightyear was stood. So it was pretty obvious that uh, Ratatouille was on its way, even though officially it wasn't. Now, it's amazing. Like, I know it takes a long time to plan these things and to get the okay, but what happened? What would have what would have happened if they actually 
had put all this um, the gusto in the archway and the lovely stonework. Now he could have been a tester to see how it looked in the park and how it looked against the Toy Story Playland, but it would have been well, not wouldn't have been funny for us, but it'd have been quite funny if they'd done all of that and then they kind of like, yeah, we're not we're not doing Ratatouille right anymore. How could they have got how could they have got around that issue of it being there? <laughs> Um, good question. I think it was a big mess up. Um, I don't think it was probably supposed to happen, or we weren't really supposed to notice. Um, but they fixed it by covering Gusto's head with a, uh, with a box. <laughs> Just to make it even more obvious that there was something not supposed to be seen there. But the Parisian streetlights were kept, so you had a street that was going through what used to be backstage areas with Parisian streetlights. So it didn't really look right. <laughs> But luckily for us, they did end up finishing off the street and it ended up going to Place de Remy. Um, so 2014 was when it officially opened, July 2014, or the 10th of July, if we want to add the day as well. Um, the soft opening started in June. Um, you were luckily well, lucky enough to be invited with a massive group of Disneyland Paris fans. Uh, do you want to just quickly cover what happened when you were invited and what happened on the press event? So we were part of the sort of... Um fan press so to speak where we were not invited to the grand opening with Bob Iger and all of those sorts of things we instead we were messing around in Disneyland Park because that's what we could do but the second day the Sunday where we got to experience the ride uh, obviously we had not obviously but we had a um, talk from the Imagineers which came before we'd been on the ride so we learned all about the ride and what happened in the ride and then we got to go on it um, which was quite fun. Then we went on the ride. We had we ate in the uh, bistro chez Remy, and then we went on the ride again. It was a it was a really enjoyable day. Lots of interesting information and a nice opportunity to have a go on the ride before it opened. Which meant we could kind of go through it all pretty slowly. We could meander through the queue areas and really take in all the details without anyone sort of rushing us around. Now, you've obviously um, been on attractions before when you didn't have the experience of being on there before anybody else and you've had to queue up as a normal, in quotation marks, guest. Is there a massive difference um, going at one of these events to just going as a normal guest? Like, Has it completely changed your opinion of the attraction because of that special time you had with the attraction before anybody else got to it? I think, obviously, there's you have some sort of affinity to it because you know you've got to have this special experience i think when you do these rides and you you're really allowed to take your time and you know you can really and just enjoy and everybody's sort of pleased to be there everyone's always pleased to be there but it feels like an honor and everybody's sort of putting on their best show and it feels very very different it feels a lot more relaxed when you know there's about 20 of you in the queue area just walking around and you know you sort of get to the point where you go i've had enough of looking at the queue now i will go on the ride and you just walk on you know it's it's a very odd experience if you ever get to try that just never having to queue for it and just you know when the moment you decide you're going on the ride is the moment that you're going on the ride yeah that's that's good so you're basically what you're saying is you need to either be invited to one of these events or you (laughs) need to buy a vip ticket by staying in the most expensive rooms (laughs) in the hotels well, no, because they're different experiences. So one thing I really enjoyed when I got to do the soft opening was being on a Ratmobile with uh, people who were seeing it for the first time through sort of guest size and through your children's eyes. Yeah. And so you kind of, that was a completely different experience again. So, you know, 
each part of the experience is different. I will probably mention this again later on, um, but I, I like the fact that on the single rider that you can or you end up with random families and because of how many people can fit in a Ratmobile, you always know that you're going to get on with if you're lucky, you can probably get on with somebody else who's in your party if you're queuing up in the single rider queue line with them. Um, so I do like the fact that they mix it up a bit. And like you were saying there, you can um, see people's reactions if it's the first time on the ride or or if, even if it's not the first time, you can just see what different people enjoy and which bits people how, uh, interact with. Yeah, exactly. And you, can, you get just from a child screaming or, or laughing and you, you that sort of forms your opinion on the ride. And when I came back and sat down and wrote a review of the ride that really helped me understand what was good and I don't think I actually found much bad in it but you, if you're in that situation you think mm, these people look bored now yeah it could change your opinion as well isn't it if, if you if you get people who aren't reacting to it you can kind of say well look that was that was the scene yeah. that not many people related to it or didn't enjoy it and I suppose it could change your own opinion as well yeah and luckily in the case of Ratatouille I it really felt like people were enjoying every moment of the ride, um, which is obviously the goal for Disney, and really helped us as well write and tweet out our thoughts and all of these sort of things. You know. Cool. So some Ratatouille facts that I've been pulling from the internet and from all the various places we've got access to these days. Uh, at a cost of £187 million, around $270 million, which is estimated, it's quite a big, big uh, payout for Disneyland Paris to make. Another interesting uh, fact is that it's probably one of the highest capacity attractions in the parks, uh, which is quite funny when you see how long the queue time is. Um, so yeah, the capacity is around about 2,220 people per hour, if I am correct. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. Yeah, that, they uh, managed to get to that capacity rate by including 36 vehicles. Um, I've no idea if there's 36 live at all times, because obviously they'll have some uh, spare or backup ones. Yeah, it certainly feels like there's a lot, especially with the... You're always seeing the Ratmobiles queued up as well, which is nice. If you're If you're one of those guests... And you're in that queue. When you get to the, the station, you don't want to start seeing them, all these empty, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, when they start launching empty boats. And that really sort of grinds your gears. Yeah, it definitely does. Six people per vehicle, which I mentioned before. And the duration as well, it's quite a long one. It's four minutes and 35 seconds-ish duration. So again, it's quite a good ride time. Yeah, and it feels it when you're on it. You, you come off and you go, that was a decent length ride. Yeah, it's not, it's not too long. Because obviously sometimes, well, on some attractions you want it to last a lot longer, but you don't feel like you said, oh, that was too long. And you definitely don't come back saying, oh, that was too quick. Yeah, you, you queue up and you do your hour or two hours, whatever it ends up being, and you come off and you go, you know what, that was worth the queue. And we're lucky as well. If Well, if you are lucky, you can grab a fast pass for all the attraction. And I mentioned before the single rider. Um, but I remember when we went uh, on my first my first ride on a Ratatouille attraction, um we stayed in the standby queue uh, so we could experience the full queue line experience. It's definitely something I would recommend doing. If, if people have been on the attraction before via Fast Pass or Single Rider and they haven't actually been on the standby queue, uh, I would definitely recommend doing it because there's lots of nice little features and in, not, I was going to say interactive elements, but you kind of you get, you get to see another side of the attraction or another little story. So it's a shame if people haven't managed to uh, feel the standby queue. As I would yeah. say. And even the sort of outside bit, 
whilst it feels out and backish, if you look at the advertisements it put on the wall, a lot of them are quite interesting. So if you remember from the film, there was the Gusto's range of frozen snacks. They're actually advertised in the on the queue line, and they've got all sorts of great puns and things like that. One area they could probably improve, if there if there was anything to improve, probably would be the outdoor queue area. Um, I think some I read somebody's tweet. I can't remember if we're going to read out later on, but they've said it's kind of like the the inside of the attraction, the queue line inside is so nice, well themed. But with the queue area outside, you kind of are down like a back alley under a roof, and you're kind of away from the niceness of the plaster Emmy. Yeah, it feels almost that you've got this really beautiful square and they've kind of gone, do you know what, you can stay out the way, if that's okay. Now, on the original plans, was there some kind of extended queue area which was inside, which would have been more Yeah, themed? so the where the marketplace sort of queue, covered queue area is now, that was originally going to be an indoor queue room. Um, it would probably seem that maybe the ride's budget sort of didn't stretch that in the end and they had to come up with something. Bit of a shame, um, but obviously if it's going to be either some of the elements inside the attraction are in there or we have to take them out so we can have a nice indoor queue area, obviously I think we know where we all would pick. You would yeah. definitely pick the inside of the attraction over the queue line. Exactly, and at least it's a covered queue, which, you know, rather than, I think, bits of the crushes queue where, where there's no cover on them, the last sort of bit in the outdoor queue is covered but you know you don't want to get rained on unless you're queuing all the way to buzz which i have seen a couple of times yeah i think that's more that was more sort of the beginning and i think that's calmed down a bit now oh it's definitely calmed down from uh, the original queue times but this is kind of a detour from what we're talking about but has ratatouille from any information you've read or seen taken people away from other areas of the park or has it added more to Walt Disney Studios, because um, obviously it's one of the, well, it's probably the, if not one of the biggest attractions there now. And I can, the, the, the thoughts and the discussions at the time between the Disneyland Paris fans and community was that it was going to kind of draw people away from different areas. I think yes and no. I think the biggest noticeable difference is actually in Disneyland Park, where I mean the queue times are pretty similar, but as a whole they've perhaps gone down a slight bit whereas the studios park the queues for the rides and attractions that were there have stayed pretty stable but this new one's come in and it's got this long queue as well i think people there's a more even distribution between the two parks yeah now again i've never thought of this one it just came to my head do you feel then if people from statistic wise and obviously we can only go with what we've seen number wise do you feel that people have not just completely left Disneyland Park alone, but they're kind of leaving from Disneyland Park, going to Ratatouille. In my head, they're probably doing that and then coming back over. Would it have made more sense for Ratatouille to have been incorporated into Disneyland Park in somewhere? Is it that more? Is it more that kind of attraction? I think they need to promote that second park a little bit, and I think it's a. There is definitely. I mean, I've always parked hopped quite a lot. Uh, but since Ratatouille is opened, there's certainly a lot more people park hopping. Yeah. And that's something I have noticed. Um, and I think that's sort of its legacy, whereas people would perhaps go, okay, I'm going to do my morning in Walt Disney Studios and then I'll go to Disneyland Park and I'll stay there. I think there's a lot of people now thinking, I want to do Ratatouille, so I'll hop across. That's cool. So overall, 
and I think we've got the same feeling here. Overall, it has definitely been a benefit, and I think it's improving Walt Disney Studios ever so slowly, um, people hopping across, um, and hopefully they'll stay for a lot longer, having seen what else is on offer if they've never been over there before. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really nice area. It feels nice, and I think they've done a fantastic job. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of good things to say now about Walt Disney Studios, especially on that sort of side of the park, the Toon Studios side. It's it's feeling nice, which is something that I think a lot of people wouldn't have said maybe five, ten years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's def- I've definitely um, now because we go with students on the trips that I go on most of the time. Um, you do notice as they're not in the Disneyland Paris fan bubble. Um, they're happy to hop around from each park. And a lot of the time, because you've got Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror, Crush's Coaster, they're happy to, and Ratatouille now, of course, they're they're happy to stay in the Walt Disney Studios. Um, if you say to them, oh, do you want to go over to Disneyland Park to go to Space Mountain or any of the attractions, you kind of get the answer, which is, well, we're, there's lots to do in Walt Disney Studios. So I have noticed over the years, doing this now for 10 years, that has definitely changed. And the opinions of the students who are, one of the best attractions ever. Yeah. A lot of them are staying at Walt Disney Studios now. Yeah, and I think I first went to Walt Disney Studios in 2007, I think I first went to the studios. And you know, we were there for a rope drop. I think we stayed until about 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then we, we hauled back. And now I can, if I wanted to, and I tend not to because I am a bit of a park hopper, if I wanted to, I could probably spend most of the day in Walt Disney Studios. Yeah. Now, going back to Ratatouille, um, it was the 60th ride um, which was opened at Disneyland Paris. And you can't believe, or 60th attraction anyway, you can't believe that there's actually 60 attractions over the two parks. Yeah, I think they count the uh, the arcade games, like the yeah. uh, Fundamental <laughs> Shooting Gallery. So I, you know, that's sort of to be taken with a pinch of salt, but... They've counted as many attractions as we have in the uh, DLP poll that we run on Twitter. Yeah. So, so <laughs> and we've we've scraped the barrel there. Uh, we've definitely scraped the barrel. Um, but it's a nice number. And it's quite a nice little title to give the attraction, isn't it? It's how that that kind of shows how special and how much they thought about the attraction when it was opening. To... Yeah, it was it was a real point of pride. I mean, I think I have a press kit in front of me, and one of the first headlines is that it's the 60th attraction in Disneyland Paris. And, you know, that, that does make you go, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Yeah, um, the first thing, the, the, the attraction, the first thing it lists is the 60th attraction of Disneyland Paris, and then it goes down to a 3D experience. Yeah, so that, that that's more important to them, publicity-wise, um, than some of the technology that's in there. Yeah, look well, how many rides we've got. <laughs> Plaster Remy, it's a beautiful place. And the quality of the tech, well, I was going to say technology, the quality of the finish that they've put on there as well, it just shows that they have put their all into this area of Walt Disney Studios. Oh, yeah, I was blown away the first time I went down there and saw it, and I, I was lucky enough to follow the construction pretty closely in person and online. And every day you saw something a bit different, and the first time I walked into the land, um, I think me and everybody else that were there, we were completely sort of blown away by it but we just spent at least five or ten minutes just sort of gazing at everything going wow this is nice yeah because in some areas of other theme parks around the world and in in some aspects some of the disney themed areas in other disney parks you don't get the feeling as soon as you walk into a, a themed area so even when you're walking down the cobbled street 
the path the path underneath your feet feels good quality it feels like they've put a lot of effort into it um so like you were saying before about the path that goes down with the uh, the lights and the benches before yeah. you've even actually got to the main part of plaster emmy it feels good quality it feels yeah it feels like paris which is a weird thing to say because obviously paris is only half an hour down the road but you walk in and you're like yeah this this is what it's supposed to be and it just works, doesn't it? Even the little touches. So you've got like the motorbike and the fountain and the shop, um, which we'll discuss briefly at the end of this podcast later on. All the different elements work together. The fact that they've put in Bistro Sheremi as well, just to make to give the area a buzz. They could have yeah. easily just put the attraction in, a normal building, with a facade that maybe looks a little bit like Paris, but once you go inside where the magic happens, but from this moment you step foot underneath the barrel of monkeys or down the corridor uh, past Buzz Lightyear, you, you know where you're supposed to be, you can feel it straight away, and you could, again, people spend maybe the two hours queuing up for the attraction, they might even spend a little bit more time than that afterwards or beforehand, so you could be looking at maybe three hours in that area. Uh, yeah. It's a really yeah. good place to be. Yeah, and it does feel like a lot of people sort of stay in enjoy the area as opposed to you know say other bits where it's bits between attractions this feels like a place where you know i'll say and i'll look at the fountain for a bit and i'll look at all the sort of bits and i'll look at the the vespers and the scooters and the bikes it's going back to what disneyland park was like when it first opened and is again now they've done a lot of refurbishments it doesn't matter really where about you where you are in disneyland park you've got the feet, you know where you're supposed to be. So if you're in Frontierland, it feels like you're in Frontierland. If you're in Adventureland, it feels like you're in Adventureland. Whereas in other areas of Walt Disney Studios, it just feels like a big concrete jungle. Yeah, that's Whereas the... as here, you're at uh, Place de Remy, you feel like you're in uh, Paris. So they've kind of went back to the uh, original plan, which was to immerse people straight away. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the problems now in is the Walt Disney Studios Park is that you leave the Place de Remy and you're you're like that's what a Disney Park is supposed to be like and then you come back and you're like oh okay this is what this one's actually like this uh, is not to- nice yeah Toy Story Playland's kind of there isn't it as well I don't think there's much they could do without changing a lot of it You've yeah got- exactly and you could walk down the uh, the street there and past Buzz Lightyear and as opposed to sort of walking straight down towards Crush's Coast, you walk around the back of the Art of Disney Animation Building and it's just a concrete jungle again. It's like, oh, this is not as nice. But it just shows you again how much they've put into this and they know what they need to do. And I think as, as long as they get the money and the investment and they take the time properly, um, there's a lot they could do to the rest of the park. Show building, it's, we've already kind of mentioned it a lot, but the, the, the French, the Paris theme... The Parisian buildings they've done again so well, um, and they've used false perspective or false perspective like they've done on uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle, uh, which is to make things look smaller as they go up, so it looks like the buildings are a lot bigger. Yeah, and the only thing really that ruins it there is the fact that behind it are all the trees, which makes it look a bit weird. <laughs> as long as the tree, well, they just need to cut them down a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's it's a small, it's a really small niggle. It's just inconsequential, you know. It's it's a nice area. What else do we have at the queue? Well, obviously the show building does include the restaurant and the the shop as well. So just the fact that people are going in and out of the buildings on each side, it just makes it feel real and it feels like it's part of a real city. Yeah, and well. it's a big building. If you go on the the studio tram tour, you go around the back of the building, and that's when you can sort of marvel about how huge that thing actually is. 
So it was a specially built building, um, and the costume, old costume building, is part of the souvenir shop now. So it, and it just shows you when you look at old, old Google Map images from aerial shots, it just shows you how big the area was and how big the area still is actually, and how much effort has been put into actually creating this attraction and show building. Yeah, and if you went to Walt Disney Studios right at the start, you'd go park, you'd go on the Studio Tram Tour, and uh, you'd actually have the big window there showing you inside the costume building and it's really weird now to think that that's the plaster remy now <laughs> but it also shows that what they can do because they're not they're not disney aren't uh, scared the imagineers aren't scared to move buildings around and reroute things um, so if it happened for this no, it, it could happen again exactly i think they're starting to really pull their finger out and do great things in the Walt Disney Studios park and it's becoming that park that you want it to be. You want to be able to spend all day there and I think eventually that will be possible. The queue area, we've mentioned the outside uh, queue area underneath the shelter um, but before when I was talking about making sure you do the standby queue um, it's one of those, for me, that's up there with parts of the Caribbean and the Tower of Terror queue line wise inside because um, you've obviously you've been kind of in the rooftops, aren't you, of uh, of Paris? Yeah, got... it's, it, it's the start of your shrinking process. I just wonder what they've done to shrink us down. Uh, when you walk in, you see that the wallpaper gradually gets bigger. That's one thing I actually didn't notice, so I'll have to watch that for next time. Yeah, you walk in, and the wallpaper very slowly becomes all the patterns and things slowly become bigger, and then you emerge onto this rooftop. And you'll notice that the, the difference in size between the first rooftop, uh, where you queue, and the loading area, there's a huge difference in size. So you're gradually being shrunk down to the size of a rat. Yeah, this the sound the soundscape that they use in the queue area is is magnificent. Oh, it's you can beautiful. hear people shouting, engines, dogs barking. It, again, it just sounds like they have went out there with a microphone and captured the Paris streets. Oh, it feels it feels real. It feels it just feels it fills you with something <laughs> <laughs> and you you know you come out of it and well, you go into it and you know you are in paris that's exactly how you feel you are in paris you are on the rooftops this is a real thing that's happening now even though the queue line inside is a lot shorter than paris of the caribbean and tower of terror the reason why i say it's kind of up there for me is like you just feel so immersed in there and you kind of want to stay in there for a little bit longer like you yeah. were saying before, when you went for the uh, press weekend or the fan weekend, you, you got to kind of take your time through there. And yeah. it's one of those things where sometimes you actually want to stay for a little bit longer, even though you've been queuing up for an hour and a half already. But just so you can see Gusto on the big sign doing his spiel in uh, French and English, where he hits the star and with his fryer pan, it's just you want to see that a few times just to check, is that real? How do, how do how did they do that? What kind of technology are they using there? Ooh, good question. I can't remember. I have seen how they've done it. That's the thing. Uh, how did they do it? Do you know? Is it... Well, it's definitely some kind of projection, of course. Yeah, it's it's a big sort of screen in inverted commas. Um, it's not a screen at all in a way, but... It'll be some kind of like plastic one, like a perspex that they project onto, I'm guessing, or some kind yeah. of... Yeah, but it is brilliant. It's one of those things where if you take the fast pass and the standby queue, the fast pass, I think, the single liner, sorry, I think the fast pass, you don't see any of it. The single rider, you see 
a tiny bit of it. Yeah, you see a corner of him. <laughs> yeah, if so you're, if you're tall to... enough, you can kind of peer over and see the standby queue a little bit. Yeah, so the only way really to see this is to do it through standby. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this is why they've done that or if they've actually thought of it at all, but do you kind of feel, well, we want... We don't want the stamp, the, the single rider and the fast pass being too busy. We'll changing the queue a little bit so you can't see all of the attraction from or from the queue area, from the standby queue area. Have they done it on purpose to push a few people back into the standby queue at all? Or am I just being silly when I'm saying that? I think it's more the case that this bit is that section in the queue is quite early on in the fast pass and the single rider queue. And they sort of hope that you're not really going to spend any time there. That's true. So it's kind of just more of a walkthrough than a, a queue holding area. Yeah, and you want to reward these people who have already waited an hour. <laughs> you know, as opposed to somebody that's just wandered in and goes, oh, this is nice. Yeah, I'll spend a bit of time here. Backing up the queue a bit so it's out the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the storyline. Now, we didn't actually mention that the attraction was based on the very popular Pixar film, uh, Ratatouille. Yep, that, that is true. There is, a, <laughs> there is a Disney Pixar film called Ratatouille. It's good. <laughs> now, it's something I would never actually eat. I'm not really a fan of vegetables at all. So I wouldn't actually say that I'm a fan of Ratatouille. But I am a fan of the film Ratatouille. Yeah, the film is, I think, one of Pixar's best. I watched it a couple of days ago. And it's one of those films where I think it's probably, it, it's up there with some of the best things Pixar have done. It, it just gets you like every all good pixar films do get you yeah it's definitely got the um the pixar magic all over it and it's got this it's got the storyline um and formula really it's good perfect in my opinion um it is right up there i think the music the style of animation the story that goes with it it all kind of works together like most pixar films do um That's... and the, the attraction has done really well at picking out elements from that yes yeah, so the same composer did all the music for the film and the ride. Michael G... Uh, I can't pronounce his name at all. Giacino or something? We'll go with that one. Anyway, yeah. He did all the music for the Ratatouille film and they got him back in to do the uh, music for the ride. And it really shows because the music is... It feels exactly the same as the film, but more. It, it, bits are being slowed down, sped up. So yeah, and it, when I was doing my research for this again, it takes it's taken them just as long, if not probably a little bit longer, to actually end up with a finished uh, attraction than it did to actually finish the film. Because <laughs> obviously you've got the planning process of the physical building, but then you've got all the technology that goes in there, the testing, you've got all the music, all the props and everything like that. Whereas obviously in the digital world, there's a lot of teams working on different bits all at the same time. Whereas obviously with the physical section, there was probably times where only one team could work or they were doing it in different stages and it did take the same if not a little bit longer to create the attraction yeah and i think that's almost natural right it's it's just a thing that you have to work with in theme parks but it also shows that they've put in a lot more love and attention than the actual film so it makes it more important <laughs> in my eyes and of course pixar did all the animation themselves of course which is i think they it's the biggest Pixar animation ever because the screens are the biggest they've ever worked on so they've had to yeah the, the domes on each scene um, are 4k screens 4k 4, 4, 4k 3d uh, which is the biggest it says as well 
um, on my show notes that I've got here, the screens were so sharp. Uh, so sharp. Uh, it took just as many computers to render the film as well for this attraction, uh, just for the small clips that are in each section, uh, as it did for the whole film for Pixar. Yeah. So the, the, sorry, the compute and power that they've put behind rendering all of that as well, because it is 4K, whereas the, the um, original uh, film would have just been for standard, well, high, high definition HD. And it looks great as well, obviously. Oh, it looks amazing. So I think the story, we don't have to go through it step by step, because you basically, in the story of the attraction is you shrunk down, you kind of get in a Ratmobile, you are then running around, chasing around Remy in the kitchens, all the different areas, the rooftops, the uh, the pantry. You've got all the different scenes, and I think the best thing to do would be to go through those step by step. Official. Such a good job. We can just call it quits here. <laughs> there we go. Time to finish up now. We've had about <laughs> half an hour, and we'll see you next episode. Goodbye. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> um, that's where I could put in a really long minute delay, but then people would turn off. So it's a stupid idea. <laughs> Um, I love on Disney attractions. I don't know if we're allowed to say we've got some of the plans for the attractions, but we'll keep it here anyway. I well, love because yeah. on the Tower of Terror one that we've been through before, well, me and Simon have they number all of the scenes, even if we don't feel as a guest or as a fan that they are a scene. They still number all the scenes. So officially, scene zero, yes, the start on zero, is the queue area, and we've kind of discussed the queue area in quite a lot of detail. So we'll kind of move on from that one. But it's nice to know that it still classes as a scene. Because obviously it's part of the attraction and it's something that will leave an impression on the guests. Because they actually spend probably a, mo- a lot more time in the queue area than they do in the actual attraction. Yeah, and it's all part of the show. It's all about the show. The, the cast members are part of the show. and It's all part of the, the complete experience. From the moment you walk into that queue, that's part of what you're doing. Now, scene one, the official first scene, is the loading area. Now, there's two platforms in the loading area. Well, two sides to it, anyway. One big platform. So you've got loading area one, loading area two. This is where you have to see for the first time how amazing and how beautiful the Ratmobiles are when they glide around the loading area. And the music in the loading area is probably one of my favourites. It just it feels romantic. It feels like... the you know, how you feel when you should be in Paris at this sort of dusky time of day. And and it all comes together to make a wonderful first impression on you. You walk in, you know, you get shown, you know, go to number four or whatever. And immediately it's like, wow, this is something else. Ooh la la. <laughs> Very much so. Is it, it might just be me. And I don't think I mentioned this to you when we were in Disneyland Paris. Um, but my first, now looking back, my first impression of the Ratmobile was probably, ooh, I don't know if these Ratmobiles actually fit in the attraction. As in, I don't know, style-wise. It might just they be me. They feel a bit weird, don't they? Yeah. Uh, the, so obviously Ratatouille has a very definitive art style, and you spend the entire ride looking at these rats, and the Ratmobiles look nothing like them. <laughs> See, I've been working out how they could have changed that, if anywhere. And the only thing I could have thought of was not being in a rat, kind of having another type of vehicle, maybe that's something that's oversized that you sit in. I don't know how it would work. Um, but yeah. the only way you could get a rat to look like it was from Ratatouille would be to give it fur, or but then it's it's going to be crazy. You wouldn't have that as an attraction vehicle. I think for me, it's all in the eyes. 
They're just the black dots. Yeah, the black dots. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I think if you had the proper Ratatouille eyes on there, I think that would be fine. So here you go. If you're listening, uh, Catherine, when you join us, just Probably change the eyes. Change the eyes. <laughs> change the eyes. That's all it is. Not around the eyes. Just straight into the eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's all we want. No, no baby. But again, it doesn't detract. It doesn't distract anything at all from the attraction. It's just I just noticed it looking back at some ride videos and thinking back from when I was there uh, last. It's just one of those. It kind of stands out a little bit. But it doesn't take anything away from how. Oh no! Once once you're in it, you're in it, and you you don't look at it again. <laughs> Unless you're looking at the Ratmobile next to you. Which, well, that's true. That happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> which it shouldn't be, because you should be focusing on the props and the different scenes and the different uh, screens that are in front of you. The load, like I mentioned it before about how the glide, the trackless system, it's actually a local positioning system that they use for the trackless vehicles. So instead Ooh. of using GPS which your everyday mobile phone or smart device will use. I think what they do is they've got different beacons around the track area and they need to be in visible sight so they can get a signal. But yeah, it's like it's basically an LPS trackless system. The good thing about these vehicles as well, which is part of the 4D experience, is that they can tilt up and down, left and right. They can shake um, so you can get different vibrations at different speeds and different settings. Um, and obviously the most important thing is that they actually move around yeah, and it really works well, and we'll come into that at different points during the all the different scenes, I think. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about in different bits. Now, moving away from the loading area, the second scene, which is kind of in the same room, um, or the same part of the uh, the attraction, is the rooftops, the initial rooftops. Yeah, where you, you sort of leave the load station, you do that gorgeous little ballet type of spin. Pirouette. Yeah, and then you... You go down a sort of alleyway of rooftops and Gusto appears and says, you know, come on, come on in. And it's your first real glimpse as to what's about to come. And the 3D effect on the Gusto, you know, floating around, I think is actually brilliant. Yeah, I love, I love how the 3D works in this attraction because I've got a 3D TV downstairs and I don't really use it anymore. Um, and it, well, to get technical, I know there's a lot of people out there as geeky as me. Um <laughs> The system that Disneyland Paris uses is a passive 3D technology, whereas a lot of TVs are active. Um, by active, I mean you've got glasses on your face which have batteries in them and there's a little computer changing which eye sees what at a certain time to give you the 3D effect. Um, whereas the system that Disneyland Paris will use is a passive one, so you don't have any batteries or anything in your glasses. It's just the polarised lenses that'll do the work for you. Um, for the 3D effect, and it works really well. Yeah, um, the Gusto feels like a ghost as well, which is fantastic. Which is obviously, if you've seen the film, and no spoilers intended, it's uh, part of the film. The film came out nine years ago. You could go see it. <laughs> you can go and see it now. If you mention Magical DLP, you might get a discount or a punch in the face. Who knows? <laughs> True. <laughs> but yeah, you got the uh, the rooftops area where Gusto is flying around. But once you've done that, you go straight in to scene three, or you could either go to A or B. Now, this is where we don't want to spoil the magic for anybody, especially as we're known as Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. But there's two different, in scene three, there's three A, three B, which is the roof to the kitchen. Um, it's basically two big domed areas, which also are the screens. The good thing about it, there's space in there for three Ratmobiles in each one. So currently, 
but as we've now on, we're already in scene three, but the six ride vehicles already happening in scene three. And it's where you kind of look down uh, and you're on the rooftop and you look down into the kitchen, don't you? So what you've got is your automobile uses the special technology. It's got it tilts forward, so to kind of give you the the sense and the feel that you are tilting up and looking over um, the roof into the kitchen. And it's just amazing how six people or six groups of people on the Ratmobiles can all see this at the same time. Yeah, and I think the moment you sort of fall into the kitchen when it tilts forward pretty quickly as well. The first time I went on it, that blew me away in a way. I was just. I think everybody came off it the first time and we all just sort of went, that bit when you go into the kitchen, that's amazing. I can imagine, yeah, the first time you do it, you kind of think, oh, this is what the Ratmobiles can do. Because obviously when you first get into them and you're floating around, it's really impressive, but then for you don't realise that they're actually going to move you up and down or shake you about to add even more to the uh, special 4D element. Yeah, and it works really well because I think the kitchen, the window opens and it you sort of go forward a little bit then back and then all the way down and it it really feels like one constant movement they've captured what that probably would feel like i think quite well and now have you ever witnessed anybody grabbing out to try and grab the plates the gusto's holding oh of course <laughs> i um, think i did it as well at one point yeah because i remember seeing one of my first ever 3d films um i think it was at some kind of television museum somewhere possibly could have been in bradford when you first see a big, really big 3D film at the cinema, and you get, and they obviously make the 3D even more explicit to try and get it right in your face. You, everybody's trying to grab it. You kind of get the same impression on this. So Gusto's flying around, showing different dishes. Um, it's also, incidentally, the first time you actually see Remy as well in the attraction. Yeah, and it's a nice little introduction to him because I think he's, he's debating what to cook, and you know that's what Remy is. He is a chef. And he bounces off somebody's hat and then starts running around, and that's when all hell goes... It, go, it goes off, all hell breaks loose and everything like that. Yeah, and it's a genuinely exciting scene. It is. It gets you going as well. Yeah, it it really sort of gets you going, and it, you feel exciting, and you feel like this is a chase around the kitchen. It's uh, sort of what you wanted from the ride. If you see the film, there's a scene that's very similar to that. It really sort of gets to pay homage to that. Yeah, you get to see uh, Linguini, um, and this is you actually. To be honest, you're in the um, you're in scene three B for quite a long time, as longer than I thought you were. It's it's a very long scene thinking about it because that's a good chunk of the ride. It is a really big section of it, and another part that kind of gets you as well is that once you've been in that scene, like in that scene, and you're in the little dorm, you then see all the cars or the Ratmobiles starting to dart around, and there kind of is a race for the Ratmobiles as well, isn't there? Because they've got different paths to take. Yeah, exactly, and it, it feels just again exciting. Um, and no matter how many times I've done the attraction, I think it's about five now or five or six. I've obviously been a couple of ways twice at the same way, but you always get to go a different random way. Some people are turning one way while you're going the other, and the different Ratmobiles head off in different directions. And you never know, as far as I'm aware, you never know which one's going to go into which section. Uh, no, it feels random. It does feel very random. Um, I'd like to think it is officially random as well. I think it is, because I, just judging it on the load and the little ballet of the load scene, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. For me, when they were doing the creation of the attraction and when they were releasing little bits of tidbits of information and videos, um, I, re- I was really impressed with the props and what they were putting into the pantry scene. Now, this, pantry, is, where, this yeah. is where the physical props kind of come into their own, isn't it? Yeah, this is how 
this is a fantastic scene, really. It's got all these oversized props, different pathways through, sort of little bits of screen where you've got the eyes following you around, different rats following you around, and then you've got Remy and Emil sort of in the fridge at the end. It's just, it's it's one of those scenes where it's, I think it's probably the best scene if we're talking sort of technical and the blur of uh, screen and props. Yeah, because it is kind of a mixture of everything, isn't it? So obviously you're making really good use of the Ratmobile um, trackless system uh, going in and out of different areas. Sometimes you go straight down the pantry and other times you're going to go in and out of different parts of the scene. Um, I get the eyes... The eyes are the bit that get me because no matter how many times I've been on the attraction now, you do see different eyes in different places, and you can never remember if you've seen them there before. And I don't know that that obviously isn't that isn't random, and they don't change as often as I probably wish they do. But <laughs> exactly. you do you do kind of feel oh I didn't see them last time. Yeah, and if you look up, you've also got the giant ham, which is <laughs> something amazing to see. There's a nice little story about the ham, isn't there? There is a lovely story about the ham. Yeah. Uh, little segue. Um, the ham is I think it's 1.2 tons just a little light ham yeah which also means that due to French regulations it actually has to have a sprinkler system inside it (laughs) that's the bit that got me when I heard that one for the first time (laughs) first first of all we all laughed first of all the fact that it was that big and had that heavy Um, second of all the fact that the French law is so ridiculous and it's not the first time we've heard of silly French rules but the third bit, the fact that they actually did, and it, they actually went ahead and put its own sprinkler system in there. <laughs> Which is great. I mean, if it catches fire, you're fine in that scene. But so, yeah, if, it, if there's a one-on-one breakdown, what you need to be doing is crowding around the ham, especially if, the, <laughs> if there's a fire alarm going off, because you'll be fine if you're in there. But if it's a bad enough fire, don't go too close to the ham, because if it falls, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> or wait till it falls down, <laughs> climb into the ham, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. And don't, don't be don't be fooled by the wonderful fridge technology that's in front of you because it's not going to be that cold in there. But they do make it cold. What the fridge? They the idea is is that on this scene because you've got the fridge there, it's a slightly colder scene than the other scenes. Uh, so that'll be another effect on the 4D checklist. <laughs> but uh, um, another bit that really amazes me of the fridge is that it actually. You, you know that the physical props, so it looks when it is, they're really there. You could actually touch out and grab them. They wouldn't feel like jelly or a cake because they'd be they'd be hard. But you, they feel like plastic. Yeah, but the fact that there's got the second part of it's kind of like either projection mapping, which I hope it is, or some kind of screen that's projected onto. <laughs> I um, think it's uh, I think it's a screen. So what it is, you, it only just mixes so well the the physical and the animation. Yeah, it, you it, can't tell it's where like, it starts. Kind of one stops and one starts, can you? No, exactly. And it feels uh, constant, and it feels like it's part of the ride, which is sort of what you want. You don't want to have an experience that takes you out of it. Like, oh, and that's a screen. Yeah. So yeah, there's other uh, elements in there. There's boxes full of all sorts of stuff. There's cheeses. There's even more fish that are hanging around. Um, it probably when I go next time, even though I've done this podcast and done the research, I'll probably still find something else that I haven't mentioned or haven't discussed before. You kind of swiftly move on, and it's a shame you don't spend as much time in there as in the uh, the rooftop scene. It's a very uh, short scene, isn't it? It is, yeah, especially for how much money and effort and time must have gone into that section of the attraction as well. I think I, if I was to guess, I'd probably say that that 
particular scene is one of the more expensive ones. Mm-hmm. You move straight from the pantry to the mop and the oven, uh, which kind of this is where a lot of the 4D effects are used. So what you've got is you kind of you're, you're the rat, or in your, your rat mobiles are kind of underneath a trolley, a heated trolley. I think it is. Uh, so what you can uh, see is yes. you've got the wheels on it. If you look behind you and around you, you've got the wheels on every side. Uh, yeah. If you look above you, um, when the effect goes off, you've got the flames and a little bit of heat comes out of there as well. Yeah, exactly. And you sort of shoot away with the mop and the mop sort of wets you a tiny bit. So if we if we look at the, even though this is an imaginary um, checklist, you've, you've then got uh, the water effect and a little bit of wind, or a little bit of air as well, that kind of gives yep. you the uh, effect of the mop coming towards you. Yep. Um, now, we've all, especially people who love theme parks and attractions like this, you've all kind of seen or felt or had the, I um, can't even think of the word, you've all experienced the 4D kind of cinema where you sat in one place watching the screen. and you, A lot of the time you're expecting something to happen because you know that there's, you can see the water piston in front of you on the seat. You can you know where the water or the wind cannons are underneath, uh, but with this, obviously until you've read it about twenty five times, you you kind of still not expecting it the effect to take place, and you can't really you can't see what's spraying something you in to you in the face, and you can't see the wind machine's going to get you. So again, the theming and everything and how quick the ride is and moving around to the different scenes, it just yeah. it makes the four D more believable. And the uh, the three Ratmobiles, you get a slightly different experience every time. So one Ratmobile might get a bit more wet than the other one. Yeah. So every time you go on it, you know, you might go, I've, I've, no, I've come off it before and I've gone, oh, I got a bit more wet than I usually do on that. <laughs> oh, look at my hair. It's the total mess. It must have been windier that mop today. <laughs> and I also like how this is a really good scene for how it, the transitions. This is really linear in that. You get mopped away, and all of a sudden, you're going into the dining room. Yeah, it's straight. It's kind of seamless, isn't it? You like turn right round. Yeah, the wheels are going, so you kind of move the wheels, the table, the oven kind of moves you into the dining room, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's so seamless. It's it's crazy. And then you've got some rollerblade action by Linguini there, and he kind of he helps you along your way um, back into some kind of I was going to say never regions of the uh, of the um, restaurant. You kind of get pushed into the walls. Yeah, and you you exit the dining room is the the Gusto's dining room. Yeah, now the dining room, even just them talking about it, it's so quick because it's cause it is part of five scene five and scene six kind of merged together. Yeah, and it's where I think the dining room. I mean, we talked about the excitement in the the roof to kitchen scene, but this is really where a lot of excitement comes from. Now the um, scene seven which is actually split into it's the three different sections. You've got A, B, and C. You've, you're kind of inside the walls then. So what happens is your Ratmobile is kind of its own exclusive, exclusive little 3D dome. You lose your friends for a minute. You do. You say goodbye to that crazy-looking rat on both sides. You go into this little dome. It's kind of like your own little VIP cinema. Yeah, it's, it's your, own <laughs> little, your own little bit of the wall. Um, but you don't feel. I've never once, apart from when you take your glasses off and you look around and you you kind of again you geeky like me and you're looking for the edge of the screen. Unless you're looking for that and you and you're just paying attention on what you're supposed to pay attention on. You, for what you know, you never feel that you are a lot of the time. Obviously, you know you're watching a screen, but you don't feel that way if you kind of get lost in the attraction. Yeah, and it's also I think the one and only point of the attraction where you. Because obviously you've got your other Ratmobiles, two other Ratmobiles there sitting beside you. And whilst you're not looking at them, you're conscious they're there the entire time. Yeah. 
But this is the one time where it's really intimate and you, you feel like you're the only one seeing this. Um, your Ratmobile is shaking like mad as well as you're running through the walls and you're going really fast. Especially when uh, I think I flinched when uh, Chef Skinner found you and put his hand through. Oh, the amount, of, the amount of screams you get from people. That is now, a wonderful moment, though. Now, that's the moment as well You meant when you mentioned before about sharing the attraction uh, or the Ratmobile with people you haven't met before or random strangers or a small family of uh, like children. That is where... You kind of, you, I don't. I've felt myself laughing at people, not at people, but laughing with people before. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Ah, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, not that. Just when they do react, you kind of think, oh, well, I knew it was coming, and it got me yeah, a little exactly. bit. But they, yeah. they can see how much they've enjoyed it, and I think this is one of the scenes where you know if somebody's enjoying it or not because they will let out a scream or a yelp or a, a laugh. Oh, exactly. Yeah, and I think this is probably one of the biggest points where people will react because I think it's. Probably the most exciting scene. It's, it's really the bit where it all comes together and this is the chase. Yeah, there's more... Um, you kind of go down a little bit of a corridor as well into the next scene, into scene eight, the uh, the kitchen. So there's a little bit more physical prop. It's mainly just pipe work and kind of a bit of skirting board kind of stuff um, yeah, on yeah. your way to the kitchen. Yeah, it's not, it's not an exciting corridor. That's... But it's not supposed to be an exciting corridor. It's a kitchen. No, that's right. And it also it kind of gives you time to just register what happened in that scene. Yeah, it's it's your time to take a breath, figure out what you've just seen, and get ready for what you're about to see. And it gives the rats time to catch each other up as well after being in the um, the different little 3D dorm areas on its own. Yeah, and you've got Emil coming over the speakers saying, come on, Remy's Kitchen's right this way. Now, I haven't mentioned this yet, and I think I'm going to mention it now because we're coming up to another screen area. Um, it might just be me, but I always feel that when I've got the 3D glasses on, that I'm kind of looking up a little bit. You have to look up to then look down to see the... I don't know. It might just be me. It might be where my nose is. I don't know. I just feel like I'm tilting my head up a little bit rather than looking naturally straight on to see the screen. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, that's one thing I've never thought of before. Now, if you've never thought of it, it must mean that you don't have to think of it because it's fine. It might just be my face. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so my face is incompatible with the glasses. I don't wear glasses. I don't <laughs> need glasses, but only in this ride. <laughs> it's all your fault. Every complaint that everybody could possibly have would just go, eh, it's Andrew's fault, whatever. It's Andrew's face. <laughs> What's the problem with this ride, Andrew's face? <laughs> Obviously, you don't want... To have to wear glasses and it, it would be amazing if they could get the technology that allows you not to have to wear glasses at all and get the same 3d effect but in some way the kind of they kind of give you a little screen on your face no no and they kind of guide you and looking at certain aspects of it yeah it does kind of cut out some of the ratmobiles next to you yeah exactly and you say it'd be nice to do it without the glasses i think that's i think one of the things i said when i came off it is you know i'd like to do that in 2d yeah because I think it would still work. I don't think the 3D is essential to the ride. I would agree with that. Obviously, they couldn't they couldn't have market it as 4D, could they? No. Because what they would do, they'd be like, well, it's 3D, but you, the third dimension isn't the glasses that you need to wear, because that's 2D. <laughs> the third dimension is the fire, the wind, and the water that's coming towards you. Yeah, exactly. And I understand why they do the glasses, and there's some cool effects, but I think that you wouldn't lose much by not having it in 3D. 
Well, again, part of my geekery is that I do well. One, one, definitely on one of the attraction rides that I've had on this, I have done it. Even obviously, I've, I've wore the glasses at certain points, but you know when you're at the cinema and you kind of lift your glasses up a little bit to see what <laughs> it looks go, like. I have <laughs> done a lot. I, yeah. Sometimes you lift them up and you go, "This bit's not even in 3D." Yeah, what am I wasting my time for wearing these? <laughs> I don't know, just kind of, I have done it before, and like I say, it doesn't take anything away from it, apart from the screens are blurry. But because the dome's are rounded, and you're kind of encased by them, um, you kind of don't need it. The only thing I think you would need to do is make the screens kind of go over the top of you a little bit and kind of go curve onto the floor, so you've kind of got a more field of vision on the screen rather than it just being kind of, I don't know, like a rectangle floor. Yeah, I think that's one of the criticisms I'd, I'd lay on this ride, even with the 3D glasses, is that you're sort of sitting there, and if if you're a kind of geek like we are, I don't think the regular guests would probably notice this, but there's a big sort of gap between you and the screen, and that's yeah. just black. And, well, sometimes it's shiny as well. Exactly, and I it think... Reflects some of the, the screen. Exactly, and if you're looking for it, you'll find it. That's, that's sort of the... You should be... It should be like Pirates of the Caribbean, where... I think sometimes if you're looking for the show effects, you're not going to find them. Yeah, that's, that, I have looked for a lot of them, and like you say, there, Pirates of the Caribbean, you can't really see them. Um, it, it's not as bad as it's a small world, like with the roof or the ceiling inside yeah. there. But when you, you yeah. do look up, you kind of think, "Oh, I wonder if the, there's any way of hiding that from any from the regular guest." Yeah, exactly. But it's not a big deal as well. Oh no, it doesn't it, take anything away from it. No, it's it's sort of us finding things to save for the re, you know to create discussion. I think that's part of the fun of all this as well yeah you are as we have digressed so far we are I remind you we're back in the ratatouille kitchen we're in the kitchen and it's it's a lovely feast and it smells of i think bread what have other people described it as because i would say bread but i'm sure i've heard other people saying other smell. i think some people have called it like yeast smell which is bread <laughs> <laughs> but, or, but you know or a, or a very yeasty beer could be a yeah. yeasty beer so i think a lot of people say that it's different different types of smell but i think it does smell of bread and if it smells good it smells like a kitchen it does um you get the another 4d element which is the champagne spraying all over you as well yeah that's a great section if uh, if because obviously unfortunately we're heading towards the end of the ride now if the unload is a bit clogged up it actually takes some longer to unclog the uh to uncork the champagne ah right i wasn't aware of that so they so... can kind of delay the uncorking yeah, so if you most of the times you go on it, they'll just they'll open it pretty easily. But I've been on it sometimes where the rats had a real struggle to uh, uncork the champagne. <laughs> now I wonder how they managed to do that seamlessly on the footage. There obviously must be a different when it gets to that scene. It must know well. There's a bit of a cue, so we're going to play the second version of that video, which is a longer. Yeah, and I think. Uh... I, I can't say this for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure I've read somewhere that most of the scenes have a longer version. So if you're really, really lucky, you could end up making the uh, attraction time a lot longer by hitting every long video version of each scene. There, it's possible, yeah. Let's try it next time. <laughs> Excuse me, cast member, can you just clog up the ride for us? Thank you. <laughs> No, what you do is you take somebody else and they can cause a bit of confusion and delay at the start of the attraction. <laughs> get, get stuck in the door of a rat or something like that and then... Oh no, I have fallen out. <laughs> I have fallen out. Andrew and <laughs> Jeff must have to get the long version now. 
<laughs> you can still launch those Ratmobiles, but not these ones. <laughs> so yeah, the kitchen, it's a great scene, um, but you kind of get the feel, you, you know you're coming to the end of it now. Yeah, it feels like it's coming to the conclusion. It's, But it doesn't take anything away from it either. And I, it's again, it's a very seamless transition when when that champagne's corked uh, and you fly backwards, you spin round and you're in, oh, it's like, hello, you're in the you're in the, kitchen, you're in the restaurant now. Yeah, so the, the movement of spinning backwards takes you into the next scene, doesn't it? Like straight yeah. away. Yeah, and you don't even, you, you realise it's happening, obviously, but you don't realise that actually behind you are a big set of doors. You never realise that. Yeah, because they obviously to keep a lot of the scenes separate and to keep the audio out, there are swinging doors at, at different points throughout different scenes uh, yeah. to separate. And because you're always facing the direction that the Imagineers want you to, you don't see anything else. There. You don't see the doors opening and closing. But if you do look back, and I, I, I do this sometimes, the doors are actually themed to the area as well, even though you're not seeing them. They're so, there. yeah, if they turn around, you're, you're saying that if you're kind of in the, the walls... They'll be themed, the doors will be themed as if you're part of the wall. Yeah, so the, the, wall. the ones going into the the restaurant look like sort of kitchen restaurant doors. Yeah. And you never even see them. When you're spinning around somehow, even though you go through the doors, you never see the door. It's one of those nice little imaginary tidbits that they've put in there for them. Yes. And for us, even though we don't see them. <laughs> but yeah, you got all the rats. It's kind of, the the restaurant there that where Remy's saying goodbye. Scene nine, which is officially officially titled Remy Goodbye, which is a fantastic scene. It, it's kind of it's a it's a bit of a mock up of uh, Bisto Che Remy, isn't it as well? Yeah, exactly. And I really like how there's that continuity between the restaurant, which you see on the onload as well. Don't forget, and this it it really helps merge the experiences together. Uh, and also, you've got the really cool thing is if you're on the fire Ratmobile and the fire Ratmobiles, for example, they see different things, but it, they see the same thing, but in different places. Yeah. There's like a band on one of the sides. So you'll see it. If you're on the fire Ratmobile, you'll see it sort of on the left-hand side. And if you're on the fire Ratmobile on the other side, you see it on the completely opposite side. So there's, because bits are blocking the screen. Now, the unload section that you just mentioned there, you can see inside the actual real restaurant uh, Bistro Sheremi, the ceiling and the other physical props in the unload area. Again, they're just as detailed. They're just <laughs> as detailed uh, as the rest of the scenes in the attraction. You've got the little fairy lights hanging down. You've got all those. I think it's twenty thousand metal leaves that are in the ceiling. All so, of them hand painted. Hand painted, handcrafted. That's yeah. why it took them so many years. Yeah, they've, they've been doing that since two thousand and ten. <laughs> It's just somebody sort of sat in the office going, if I have to see another one of these leaves. <laughs> but yeah, like, Chief Leaf Painter is his job title. Chief Leaf Painter. <laughs> I would love to see somebody with a Disney badge with that on. Just like, a, here's my business card. I'm the Chief Leaf Painter. So if you ever need someone, I'm here. <laughs> but I'm, sa- I'm available now. We've got rats to eat done. Yeah, they're sadly out of a job now. Maybe they've gone to uh, Animal Kingdom and they could do the, uh, is it Pandora they're doing over there, yeah. Avatar Land? Think... Yeah, he's 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 made the jump now to uh, chief leaf painter in uh, in Florida. I can imagine they'll need they'll need a quite a lot of leaves. Yeah, and eventually maybe Paris will need some more leaves at some point. So, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> fingers crossed for him and his livelihood. <laughs> just just for him. <laughs> just one day, but those leaves they bring in the bread. <laughs> or is it a very yeasty beer? <laughs> 
Now, with all the glasses that are in use, especially when you've got 2,000 guests an hour, I think it was I mentioned before, they uh, needed, Disneyland Paris needed a very special way of cleaning all of these glasses. And do you know how they've done it, Simon? Well, I called you Simon then. I am not Simon. This it's, is, it's just wow. a nat- It's just a natural reaction. Sorry, I'll take that back. Jeff, do you know how they clean the glasses? Because I do, if you don't know the answer. I do not know how they clean the glasses, but I do know they've built a glass cleaning centre. That's kind of the answer anyway, but... I'll okay, <laughs> which they're now extending for Star Tours 2, by the way. They're, uh, that they're is correct, there. yeah. So they've applied for uh, an extension. <laughs> they've applied. If it's French law, they'll need to do something special. Like, each, glasses, each pair of glasses will need some kind of fire safety system in built. <laughs> each pair of glasses has a spring for it. <laughs> <laughs> If it gets too hot, it just... So that's the that's the way they actually clean them. Each set of glasses have got their own window wipers on. <laughs> That'd be brilliant if that was true. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I can't remember the company's name now. I completely forgot the name. But they commissioned a company, like you say, to create like the biggest ever glasses cleaning system ever. Um, so what it is, it's basically a room, and it's by ultrasound technology. So these this special machine can clean 22,000 pairs of glasses in five hours. So that's I think a this, lot of pairs of glasses. That's how many it says. That's a lot. So because obviously they don't, they only do it overnight. So when the attraction, when the park's not in use, all of these glasses will be stored in this ultrasound cleaning room or area. Um, I take from what I read, I think what they do is just kind of leave them in the room, and by the magic of ultrasound, I come checking them later. They they come back. And they're already uh, clean for the morning. That's wonderful. And have you noticed that when you, as you leave the attraction, you're putting the um, your 3D glasses in the bin, not the actual bin, obviously. <laughs> have you noticed that they're all um, tea? They're all themed to teas. So you've got uh, yes. tea and. I wondered where you were going there, but I do remember it now. You said it. Yeah. It's one of oh. those. Oh yeah, of course I remember that. That's what it was. Um... <laughs> There you go. Fun facts. Now, we didn't mention um, of the other attractions in Disney Park um, history that used trackless systems. I believe uh, Pooh's Honey Hunt, or Honey Hunt, um, it's Pooh's Honey Hunt in uh, Tokyo and yep. Mystic Manor in Hong Kong, Disneyland. Yes, yes. Um, so it's still relatively new. Um, it's amazing that um, we've actually got this uh, trackless system in place before. Any of the American parks? Yes. It all goes quiet because we're not I'm sure. Tr- I'm trying to think. <laughs> <laughs> According to my research, I don't think there's anything else anyway. I think I think that's right, yeah. We'll say it is because everyone believes everything we say. Okay. <laughs> I said with conviction. <laughs> we should do a disclaimer like uh, Mark does on the My Disney Opinion um, podcast that he puts on, you, uh, on iTunes. He basically <laughs> says whatever we say isn't fact, but... If we think it's correct, it's correct. It probably is. <laughs> Just take it. Yeah, so I think we've covered most of the technology there. We've got the 3D dome. We've got all the physical props, the lighting, the projections, the 4D effects, the glasses that get cleaned, the trackless system. which And we uh... talked about how the trackless vehicles charge. We haven't mentioned that one before Ooh, we move on. This is a chestnut. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> so they, they charge whilst the vehicle is stationary in any scene. That's where they start charging. Now, if you look, again, this is us being geeks, but if you look at the loading area, which is where you only get the chance to stare at the floor, you can see in the kind of patterns and the, the I was going to say tyre marks that are left behind, but there's no tyres. Um, but you know what Backless. I mean. Yeah. 
the, you can you can see marks on the floor where they kind of park up, and there's maybe little little poles that stick out, which are probably there to kind of guide when you're at the the platform. It's kind of I'm, I'm imagining it's kind of the same as when you have a ski electrics track. Yeah, probably. And there'll be probably some kind of points at different places, and when you kind of sat on those points, you get a bit of a charge. Um, now, because obviously they can't do solar power because there's no sun in there. Yeah, it's a bit inside, yeah. And um, I don't think they'll be using the near field technology wireless charging yet. No, I think they just plug them into the mains. <laughs> Somebody jumps out when you're not watching, <laughs> plugs it in, and then a little, a little actual rat. There we go. Out, puts it into the mains, and then. It goes, oh, time to go. That's what they could have done instead of using a ratmobile. They could have had lots of little rats that just carry you around each scene. <laughs> Walk through. <laughs> I would love... That's, I know I've mentioned this a few times now on DLP Chat and other podcasts. I would love... There's, there's certain attractions I would love to do a walkthrough on. Now, because this is a lot of video projection, possibly wouldn't work or be as effective doing a walkthrough on this attraction. But even if it was just a walkthrough of the pantry scene... That'd be cool, yeah. And I don't want to be stuck on an attraction ever. Apart, well, definitely not a roller coaster. But you don't mind kind of getting evacuated from an attraction like Ratatouille, as long as you've done it before, obviously, and you're not spoiling your first uh, ride. But just seeing some of the videos uh, on YouTube of people evac- getting evacuated and kind of filming all the the different parts with the lights on. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to get evacuated would... from this one. Yeah, I would love to see. Well, just the nooks and crannies and the little bits that you don't get to see while you are spinning around on the on the ride. Bistro Cheremi. Now, I've never actually been in here before and eaten in there, um, so we won't spend too long discussing it. Um, but it's one of those restaurants that they're kind of pushing now as a really top-notch place to eat. Yeah, and I think it is. I think there's a lot of... Whereas, I think, before we had the news where it was going to be steak, it was going to be steak, and that's what you have I think now there's more option. Yeah. Steak's fine for me, though, so no complaint there. It's a good steak. Now, Rat, uh, Ratatouille, Bistro Cheremi, um, the restaurant is right up there with Blue Lagoon for kind of the theming or being part of the attraction, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's it's total immersion. You, you walk in there and it feels great. And the lighting's nice and it, it feels like you're part of the rat world. Which is actually quite funny because the last thing you would want to actually do would be eating in a rat world. <laughs> You'd think, you would think, but no, it, it works really well. And uh, there's a sort of, if you've ever been to a Disneyland Paris table service restaurant, you'll know you'll know that there's a sort of in each of them there's a kind of holding room. When you walk in, there's a holding room, so you're not queuing up. Yeah. Um, and in there, there's sort of these great. Um, artifacts on the wall and if you spend some time looking around there or if you're not even eating there just go in and have a look because i'm sure the cast member will let you um there's some great things on the wall such as uh, there's a framed copy of anton's ego's review of gusto's um with remy like scribbling underneath saying my first review uh, my first five euro note and all these kind of great things a lot of people have put in like the imagineers some people will have just spent all of their time on bistro Shiremi and it just looks like the attractions kind of, not going to say spewed up, but it just completely just follows right through. So you don't even know if you like, you could actually go in there and get the Ratatouille feel without actually going on the actual attraction. Yeah, and I think it, it won the 
uh, best dining option, I think, from the themed entertainment uh, awards or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it feels right. It it feels the most involved dining experience at Disneyland Paris. You walk in and it's it's fun. It's a really fun environment. I think that's the best way of describing it. Now, people out there, and in people I mean our Twitter followers and friends, a lot of them are saying or suggesting that they would like to put in some kind of opportunity to meet a Remy. Um, because obviously you could meet a small version in, I want to say the Blockbuster Cafe. Is that correct? I might be the wrong uh, person. Restaurant de Star. That's what I meant. Restaurant de Star. I cut, did. Cut that bit out. Yeah. Um, so do you feel, because obviously he's not in there anymore because we've now got Ratatouille, but that there's no sign of a meet and greet. Do you feel that there's potential for an area either in Plaster Remy or in the restaurant? Uh, yes, because uh, during the preview weekend, there was. <laughs> There we go. So <laughs> if anybody was tweeting out about it and they've just seen your tweet and nothing else, they're expecting to meet Remy while they're... Yeah, we had a we had a meeting. There's a really nice... Uh, I think it's a copy of Gusto's Anyone Can Cookbook. Ah, uh, uh, yes, I remember seeing that now, yeah. And we had a, yeah, a meet and greet with Remy and Emil uh, in front of that. Now, would it change the atmosphere? Obviously, you've been there when he was there, but I can imagine not having anything... Uh... If we we didn't have to queue for him because it was press, yeah. And they're not too bothered about characters. <laughs> Where's my food? I want my food now and nothing else. Well, exactly. I mean, you walked in and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get a picture with with Remy and Emil, and you do it, and that was it. Yeah. So, but in your opinion, then, even though you weren't there when it was busy, and um, do you think... feel it would? Do you think it would be a bit of a distraction from the yeah. feeling of the area? Would it fit in? I think a lot of people would like it, and I think a lot of people would go for it, and it'd be really popular if they did put Remy and Emil in there as character meet and greets. However, the idea of the restaurant is, is that it, they want it to be a fine dining, you know, place. They want it to be this like a real signature restaurant, um, and I think having that would almost, I think, destroy that kind of atmosphere. So then, would it, would there be a place in Plaster Remy? For a meet and greet outside, in a corner w- somewhere by a moped. See, I want to say yes because I think that they'd, they'd fit brilliantly in there. But I understand that people would say, "Well, no," because the whole idea is, is that you get scaled down. You can't have giant rats running around in the center of Paris. That's true. I think that's a load of rubbish, really. And I think you could quite happily have them out there. So yeah, you can you can get to the point where you kind of say, well, there's a lot of other characters that you meet. For example, Tinkle Bell. Tinkle Bell. Who's Tinkle, tinkle Bell? Bell. <laughs> for example, Tink. For example, I can't speak now. That, that's the one that takes a tinkle. <laughs> uh, but for example, I can't still can't say it. For example, Tinker Bell. She's normally, as far as I'm aware, when you're watching Peter Pan or any other uh, Tinker Bell. Tinker. <laughs> there's always one word I struggle to say, and tonight is Tinker Bell. Um, <laughs> on, the, on the other Tinkerbell um, spin-off series of films, um, as far as I'm aware, she's the size of a little pixie, So, and she still sits on the back of the float on the parade and runs around and does little bits. So I kind of see what people's arguments would be, but then, like you say, people know, or people know that it's just part of going to a theme park like this. You want to make characters. You're not going to say, well, wait a minute, that rat is about uh, 20 foot taller than it should be, really. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you kind of go, 
you know, there's a part of you that you, you're there to have fun. You don't want to sort of like go, well, you know, guys, that rat shouldn't be here because he's a bit big for his size. And then the other issue is, I know he doesn't talk, the character won't talk, but in the film, this rat's talking, wait a second, that's completely against my beliefs as well. So you kind of, you, you'll never stop, will you? You'll kind of get to the, you, you can well, say one thing, but then yeah, exactly. contradict yourself by saying something else later on. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Woody doesn't talk in the parks and, you know. Eventually, you sort of just got to roll with it and just enjoy, have some fun. Now, a few months after the um, opening of Ratatouille and Plaster de Me, um, you had Cher Marianne, the Souvenir de Paris. Yes, we did. Um, nicely themed, and it kind of, like I said before, it adds to the area because people are going in and out of it, and it makes the place feel busy, and it's, you obviously yeah. want people to be buying merchandise, and there is a lot of merch in there. It's um, a good-looking shop. It is. And still, you still find some of the generic merchandise in there, but not as much from what I can remember. Uh, from what I still, can remember. It's, it's quite... all themed to Paris and to Ratatouille. Yeah. So no, it's actually, a, it's actually a well-designed shop. Because a lot of the time, I know you hear a lot of Disneyland Paris fans saying, well, every shop's the same, no matter where you go. Um, but you know, when you go into this um, Cher Marianne, that it is going to be Ratatouille-based. People are wanting to go in there. Uh, for their souvenirs for the attraction now I'm quite surprised now thinking about it that it did open up so late but the fact that it's not actually incorporated into the exit of the building of the of the attraction yeah and I think that works nicely as well I think so on a plus side I do really I do really like that because a lot of the time you kind of think well I know I'm being forced through this exit so that there's a chance that I'll buy something but uh, I think that if you want to make a realistic Paris well Paris obviously has shops so, so you, you want you want a street corner with a shop on it. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not saying they should have put a shop on the exit. I'm just saying it, it's quite. It, it is different that it doesn't have one because obviously in Tower of Terror, you can't. The exit is through the shop. Um, other attractions, Buzz Lightyear, you exit through the shop. Yeah, and um, Star Tours will be getting a shop. Too. Yeah. So it's kind of the way the marketing experts go. Right, we'll push you into there. So it's quite a nice change actually, and it kind of it would have taken away from the ending and the uh, unloading area when you've got the restaurant. Um, as part of the exit to the attraction. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know about you, but when I'm forced into a shop, because obviously a lot of people are coming out at the same time, I take a beeline to the exit straight away because I think that that's, it's a busy shop. Oh, definitely. But I'm also one of those people that says, I really, really hate the fact that this advert is getting catchy. I am never going to buy anything for that company ever again. <laughs> that's the yeah. kind of person I am. I mean, sometimes I'll buy stuff from the Tara Tara shop, but usually I go, this shop is now busy, I will go. So, listen, Disneyland Paris Imagineers, don't put shops at the exits because it won't work for us. You ain't <laughs> well, it, us. It, it won't work for me, so don't do it. <laughs> it, works for, it works for quite a lot of people, though. The amount of people yeah. you do see, um, especially guests who maybe will only go to Disneyland Paris once or twice ever, um, they want to grab something from one of their favourite attractions. So Yeah, and I think for some reason it works. Like, for Tara Tara, it definitely works, that that's a really nice shop and I think for Star Tours it will work as well because you're landing in a spaceport yeah so hopefully there's something it's all in a different language not just French some kind of <laughs> alien language and it'll yeah. look like you're in a different place anyway that's a different sure. that's a different podcast we've done that a few episodes ago we're too late for that one now and it'll come up again at some point in the future I'm sure yeah we'll do the adventure continues we'll do a special edition Hey, next April. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what we like to do on the Magical DLP podcast is discuss what will happen in the future. Now, it's quite hard for this one. Um, 
every podcast we've done so far, we've the, the attractions have been there for quite a few years now. So we've always had the chance to see, well, this needs changed or we're coming up to refurbishment. We can talk about this. Whereas Ratatouille is still quite new and you don't expect them to be adding or changing anything. But we'd like to discuss three little areas that might possibly come up maybe one day, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 20 years. The first one would is there a possibility they could change or adapt some of the scenes? So if, for example, which is what Disney like to do and Pixar like to do at the moment, a sequel, what if a Ratatouille sequel came out uh, and there was a new character, a really popular character, how easy do you think it would be for them to change a scene, tweak a scene? Um, well, obviously you'd have to re-render the animation, which would take a long time. But it'd be quite, I think it'd be quite easy to do. Um, from Disneyland Paris or Disney Parks, previous history do you think it's something they would do though even if it, like, say for example it was the most popular character and the, the sequel was the best film of all time are they quick enough to say oh actually we've got an attraction there we could place that character in there do you think they would uh no uh, i think they probably wouldn't for multiple reasons the first one being paris doesn't get stuff for a while <laughs> <laughs> and the second being to do animation costs a lot of takes a lot of time and it takes up Pixar's resources and it takes up Disneyland uh, Paris's resources and I think uh, you have to sort of make it work with the scenes and yeah. what already exists and I think it's a lot of work for them. Um, now, Remy will always be the most popular. It's got Emil in it. It's got Skinner. It's got Linguini. I think you'll always have those in whatever happens if Breath to It does get a sequel, which I, I'm pretty sure it won't. Um, you'll always have those. Um, what about physical props then? Because we've obviously said that it could be possible to change some of the um, the video scenes. Because um, after a while, once you've rode an attraction, physical props, you know where they are, you know what to do. Sometimes, there's not well, there's no moving physical props apart from the big wheels and stuff like that. So like the ham, for example, would you say yeah. that being replaced in the future or another type of food being hung there? I would say no, unless the ham becomes a problem. Or a fire risk. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> if if something becomes a problem, they'll swap it out for something else. But I I think that these things are made at such a considerable cost for the next foreseeable number of years. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that leaves us kind of with, for the future, would there be a possibility of... We've talked about the queue area outside being outside. And there are some <laughs> themed elements there. Could they do anything there? Because obviously it, it is a very popular queue, very popular, well, not a popular queue, but a very popular attraction. Um, and I don't see the queue dying down for any time soon. Would they, or could they possibly look at doing something with the queue line, the outside section? Uh, that's a difficult one, really. Because they sort of box themselves into a problem now where they can't, they haven't really got much room. Now, what's behind the, because there's kind of like shutters and gates, isn't there, at the end? If I'm uh, thinking of something, uh, or is it just a wall? I can't remember now. Access roads. So could they could potentially reroute a little bit of the road if they wanted to well, add no, something, because or could they not? You've got Ratatouille, the road on the other side, Frontierland. Oh well, nothing. There's nothing there at the moment, anyway. Get, <laughs> so, get rid of so the geysers. Build over the geysers. That road there is from the what they call. I think it's called the Inventions Building. I think it's called. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which is sort of one of the main cast member buildings, and that's it's the ring road around Disneyland Park. So what you do is you get people. You can open up that wall there. People can queue, jump in a taxi, 
have a ride around the back lot for a little bit. Take me to Small World. Then come back, jump back in the queue and straight in. <laughs> yeah, obviously. That's that's the future of the Ratatouille queue. Um, the last and one on the I'm other like... side, you have uh, the toilets. <laughs> Who needs them? Move them to somewhere else. They're great toilets. They're nice toilets, those ones. Now, Alan from Cafe Fantasia, I remember a few months ago now, went through a, a thing of tweeting different pictures from different toilets. <laughs> um, and I definitely remember seeing a picture from the Ratatouille ones, and they were quite impressive. They're, they're good toilets. As toilets go, they're some of the nicest ones. Now, I'm surprised, because I know you've got a lot of menus on your um, dlptownsquare.com website. And I'm surprised there isn't a section of like a I don't know a review system for which is the most popular toilets, cleanliness wise, facilities wise. I think you know, I think I, I'm pretty sure someone's done that. Have they? I've seen those before. I've definitely seen toilet reviews before somewhere on the internet. Now you need to you need to send me a link to those. <laughs> I don't know where they are. <laughs> well, if you've seen know. them, you'll be able to find them again. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where they are. I just know they exist somewhere. So what, how did you stumble across them? What kind of search did you have to do there? Oh, people send me stuff to plug all the time. <laughs> um, interaction I've got there was the last list. Now, in my head, I was meaning kind of interaction um, in the queue area or, God forbid, they kind of put some kind of a point system in Ratatouille, which I think would be a big no-no. But <laughs> shoot the rats. <laughs> take, if, take out the rats. If you get rid of Buzz Lightyear Laser Blast because you need to change that for some reason, could you take the technology and put it in there? Get uh, see, shoot the shoot the cheese as it's floating around. I don't know. <laughs> can you uh, can you what's it? The exterminate the rats. <laughs> it's a rat infestation. Sort it out. <laughs> now obviously it's a big no-no, um, and I would hate to see that happening, but. There has been, I know, Peter Pan in, I can't remember which one it is, which park is in America now, but the queue uh, line. Uh, California. California. They've added, they've added a lot of interactivity there where props move, things move. Could you, I don't know, what if, what if you shouted while you were in the queue line and you got a response back from one of the windows on the rooftops? That would be pretty cool. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's likely to happen, but I think it's no, cool. No, it's definitely not going to happen. This is, this is the section where we talk rubbish and we just say, that would be amazing. <laughs> Now, one I think, thing. Go on. I think there's a lot of things you can do. Whether or not they try it, that's another question. I mean, especially with this outside queue. The outside queue makes a lot of headaches in where you can't really do much. And by the time you get inside, I think a lot of people are like, can I just get on this ride now? What about interaction via live artists or live actors? See, that'd be cool. What if, because obviously, well, another another thing I would like them to do, I know they've done it a few times, they've got like street artists out there, haven't they, with like people playing music? Yeah. Maybe I'd like, was there a magician that... on the opening, the the press opening, or was there something like that? Not for, not for our not little day. Not for our little day. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I've just, I should, I've rubbed it in there. They threw, I... they threw the kitchen sink at the day before. <laughs> That's what it was. The magician was probably there. I think you could have some really nice things in the plaster Remy where you could have like an artist sort of painting something. I think that would look amazing. Yeah. Imagine having like a street artist painting, or maybe you could have a street artist there, and you know they'd offer to paint you or something. That'd yeah. be cool. Or a, a, a guy to polish your shoes. <laughs> do they do that in France, in Paris? I don't know. Is that more of a London thing? I don't think I've seen it in Paris. You know. I've seen a lot of things, and there's a lot of begging in Paris, but... There could be a guy selling a flashing Eiffel Tower. <laughs> one euro, one euro, one euro. <laughs> <laughs> or one of those dogs that jumps up and down and does somersaults. 
Well, it wouldn't be one euro, would it? It'd be like, if inside Disney, it'd be like uh, 13 euro, 49 cents, 13 euro, 49 cents. <laughs> got an annual pass? Yeah, take it, 20% off. <laughs> Just imagine that. Yeah, it, actors in the queue line, what if you were to plant somebody you were, well, not plant them, but because they wouldn't, they wouldn't go very far. Get some soil. <laughs> but what if somebody was like an actor in normal, in quotation mark, guest clothing? Because obviously you've got so many different uh, countries represented in the queue area. There's no normal dress sense among any country. Think, I, I think if you had to dress too normally and they started acting, you'd probably get... A few punches. With the, with the European sort of sense of humour, as in there isn't one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they'd probably go, what the heck is this guy doing? And put a cigarette on his arm. <laughs> Like that. Oh, what if you what if you made them overly French? Then obviously you can be classed as being racist. But um, <laughs> oh, just imagine just if they kind of started speaking, or even if it was just sort somebody dressed up in a like a chef's outfit, saying they're late oh, for I'd... work and they're trying to get in. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Just I mean, kind of be... gives you a bit of interaction, even if I... you don't have to speak to them. You can just you could kind them. of play with the theme of the building because the building is supposed to be a uh, theatre. That's right, yeah, because when you go in, there's um, the the two theatre faces. I always forget what the names are. There's a name. Yeah, and you have the really nice uh, artwork, sort of the film, uh, not film, the play artwork of the characters. Yeah. So it's quite a mix, isn't it? Because obviously, you yeah. know, it's got the restaurant, but then obviously yeah. you're outside and it's the, the theatre area with the big yeah. lights of the Ratatouille sign. Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it'd work if somebody pitched it to you. You'd probably go, okay, I'll have whatever you're on. <laughs> now after the future section we now like to go over to the listener opinions so what we've got here um, we asked a couple of days ago i think they were scared because jeff was on the show but we got a few emails we asked well, for they email. all ran away they did uh, now i'm hoping that jeff's got these open because i'm going to leave alan wheeler at the end to you because that's a long one okay <laughs> i have them i do have them open now so well prepared well prepared uh, I'm going to go with I, Katie I Higgins. Now, we don't like it when people plug openly on our podcast, but Katie Higgins is part of the Katie and Jen's Disney Film Podcast. Ka-ching! <laughs> now, I've actually added... I've subscribed to this, and I haven't listened to one yet, Katie, so I apologise, but I will get round to listening to one of your podcasts soon. She starts with, Hi, guys. She probably doesn't know that uh, Simon's not here, so... That's for you as well, Simon. Uh, I love your podcast. Your speaking voices are so nice to listen to, by the way. That's not the first. That's the first time somebody said that. I remember on DLP chat last week getting slated for speaking Northern. Yeah, we do have a translation service available. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, Katie like loves my voice, unless she's talking about Simon's. I think. I think that's probably more likely. Yeah. Probably. Um, so she goes. So Ratatouille, or Rat as we call it, is fabulous. My friend and I have ridden it as many times as possible since it opened because we go in term time and we make use of the amazing single rider queue and therefore have never queued longer than ten minutes. I'm already jealous because they're going somewhere in term time. Wow, it's it's nice in term time, especially if you go in uh, January, February. You've been there in term time at that time, but it's a lot quieter. Although. Where it's just deserted, it's brilliant. I do say that, but most of the times I've been during term time because I take the students there during term time. You I'm, can't I'm, take holidays. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the holiday. Although the next trip is scheduled for February, I think it's the last. It's the weekend of the half term, so officially we will actually be in half term. Ooh, but anyway, that's a difference. That's a different story. She mentioned there about single rider. Now, I haven't mentioned this yet myself, even though I've said you need to do the standby queue first. 
the about four or five times that I've been on the single rider, um, we've been with three or four people and we've queued in the single rider. Now, obviously, you go in that single rider queue knowing or expecting that you will not be with anybody from your party. But like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, because each rap mobile holds six people, it's three, per, three people to a row. Um, if you get a family of four, then there's going to be two spare seats. And what they normally do, in my in my opinion anyway, what I've seen, um, sometimes they could obviously put the fast pass people on there I mean, if there's two of them. But if you're lucky enough to get to the point where they're looking for two people, then a lot of the time I've felt that they'll go down the single rider queue and you'll get to the one person will get to the front, one person will get to the back. So a couple of occasions I have been on the same rat as a member of my party. Has that happened to you, Simon? Um, I've done it again, Simon. Jeff? <laughs> ah, uh, no, because I don't usually go with people in single rider. Um, I think I've only done standby with people. Okay. So I've seen it happen. Now, because we... I'm in a rush and we're only there for a couple of days then we kind of thought well we're just going to risk it anyway and it's kind of one of those attractions that it doesn't matter if you're with somebody else because you kind of cause once you've put the 3d glasses on and you're looking at the screen there's no real interaction with anybody else no exactly it's sort of on your own so for those people who are maybe scared or apprehensive about going on a single rider i don't think you need to be worried because like you say you're in your kind of own little element anyway it's not like you're on pirates of the caribbean where you can look around and nudge the person next to you and talk to them Exactly, yeah. She goes on to say, my favourite thing was when I found out there were two doors to keep traffic flowing, and now I always see which door I go through. You can work it out in relation to where you come out and where the big ham is. I love the heat and cold and smell of it and the rats at the end, and I just remembered once the ride went mad and sent us backwards, so we weren't facing the wall for the scary bit, and one of the cast members said, did you see the whole ride? Wasn't another couple said no. Everybody else walked off, the fools. And the CM took us back through the door into the front of the queue to have another ride. She also loves the music as well. Much love, Katie. So yeah, it, it, it shows there as well that the system can go wrong at times. So what they've said is that their Ratmobile kind of went backwards down a few scenes. And it, looked, it must have been a few of her... Um, actually, I think reading it again, it looks like it was just their Ratmobile. But luckily, because the wonderful CMs at Disneyland Paris um, were aware of it, the people that didn't run off anywhere were allowed back on for another ride. And that's what you want. That's exactly what you want. Our good friend KG, who's actually just came back from Disneyland Paris in the last few um, weeks. I don't know if you've noticed this, Simon, um, Jeff. How many times am I going to call you Simon? <laughs> I'm going to have to cut these bits out because I feel bad for you now. Okay. <laughs> just, <laughs> just natural. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but KG, which is at, under, at KG underscore, how many followers he's got on Twitter? I will now have to have a look. He's got quite a lot. I think it's like 55,000. Yeah, obviously. That's a big number. That's a, yeah. That's that's my uh, that's my great contribution. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's a big number. <laughs> that big, uh, that number is big. 30,700. Is that, is that how many it is? Oh, sorry. I thought it was like 55,000. I'll take a few off. But anyway, yeah. he's, one of, he's probably our well, magical DLP's um, biggest fan in relation to followers and to somebody who actually interacts with us. So well done, KG. We'll give you the a pat on the back next time we see you. Which Five will, stars. Which will be the first time we see you. <laughs> um, he said Ratatouille is his favourite Disney movie of all time. 
or the Pixar Disney movie of all time. The setting of it being in Paris and loving Disneyland Paris swings it to be the first overall for him. Um, in his opinion, it is the best. Although he can't watch the movie for a good while after a DLP trip as it want, it makes him want to go back as soon as possible. The Ratatouille tour area in the studios is so good from the setting, the detail and design, the music, and of course the restaurant that serves excellent food and steaks cooked to perfection. Finally, it would be nice to see Remy and Emile visible in the Plaster Remy area for meet and greets, but that is nitpicking um, to a great area of the park that doesn't especially need it. It would just be a sweet bonus. It would indeed. Sometimes they have um, sometimes they have Belle out there in her um, in her village outfit, which is a really. I, I know a lot of people kicked up a big fuss at that point when she appeared because people go. She's in her village outfit, and she's uh, and she's in the middle of Paris. That just doesn't work. <laughs> ah, it's French. Doesn't matter. There we go. It's in a French area. Why? I can see why people would nitpick, but then I could also see why Disneyland Paris do it. And what? in the front, like the, the last thing they're thinking about, really, if you think about it, is what of these ten people on Twitter or Facebook going to say about that situation? Well, exactly, and. It works because if you've watched Beauty and the Beast, she sits by the fountain, and you've got the fountain there, and that's where she meets. And that's there you go. So she's not meeting in Plaster Emmy; she's meeting by the fountain. Exactly, and you know, I, I agree with everything KG said. Really, I think Ratatouille is definitely my favorite Pixar film, uh, and the stakes the stakes are seriously good, uh, and the sauce is even. There's a special chef Remy sauce, and we we asked the chef once what was in it and he said secret <laughs> so it's full of secret that's nice to know it's it's a really good sauce though if i if i knew the recipe i'd be making it daily at home <laughs> um do you want to read alan's email jeff i shall indeed hi andrew and guest host jeff hello alan i've been to orlando before riding ratatouille so i'd ridden the majority if not all of universals sorry to mention the u word screen-based rides so Ratatouille had a lot to live up to. That's a thing we sh- that we could say is that Universal was at way ahead in trackless-based rides with screens. Oh, definitely, yeah. Now a lot, a lot of people in the Disney community don't like really talking about Universal, but I've kind of got no worries about that. At the end of the day, even though I'm a really big Disneyland Paris fan, um, I love technology as well. So to see what other technologies out there like when they're used on the Harry Potter attractions and stuff like that. So don't apologise for mentioning Universal. Um, we just hope that they will give us a free trip to make us change our mind. I would be very happy to accept that if that ever came. <laughs> uh, I was expecting the ride to be a thrill ride, as everything I had seen before uh, this had been a thrill ride. How wrong was I? Yes, Disney is using screens and trackless technologies, but in a very family or ride-orientated way. There is much to see and so many different perspectives you can ride it multiple times. Again, I think very true. Uh, my son and I love it so much. Uh, one morning, we rode it four times before 10.50. Now, how on earth did you manage that? Oh, exactly. <laughs> kind of been a, there kind of been a queue at all, especially when Walt Disney Studios opens at 10. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm reading this going, what? <laughs> uh, I queued in the main queue whilst Andre grabbed fast passes for the family, and then the two girls joined us from Crush, and we sing, and did the single rider. Don't let this gem of a secret out. Uh, rode twice, then did our fast pass. Okay, so that makes sense. So they did. They queued up in standby once. Yep. Got fast passes while they were doing that. Then did two single riders, then it was fast pass time. That would, yeah. Still so quite that... good time, though, to be able to do... Uh, they must have got there right at the front of the queue. Yeah, 
That's a, that, that's a good little tactic. There you go, people. That's that's tactics. Write that down for your next visit. <laughs> if I have one criticism, it's at the queuing area for the normal queue. Whilst the inside bit is amazing, if it's just not long enough, and uh, whilst queuing outside feels like you're stuck in an alley. Don't get me wrong, the Plastic Remy area is extremely well themed, just not that alley. I think. I think the alley is okay. I, I get. I was very uh, amused though by the the things on the wall, so that's probably. Yeah, the the the, um, the art on the wall is really good, but uh, like a lot of the time, because you are snaking up and down, up and down, back and forth. Like, there's only so many times you can look at them and see something different. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't work if they were like some kind of screens where they could change it. I, don't, I just don't think that would work. Cause it would kind of take away from the theming of the area because you don't expect to see. Suppose you're doing modern day Paris, but you don't expect in a nice traditional Paris to have LCD screens blazing advertisements at you. Exactly. It's an amazing ride, and I hope Disney make use of the screen and track this technology to build another couple of rides, just two. Uh, <laughs> not more than another couple, as that wouldn't want them being uh, another universal one-trick pony. Regards, Alan. I think I think screens are going to be the future of Disney rides, though. I think maybe not like this one. I think this one's very heavy in the screens. But you look at the Shanghai Pirates, for example, and that's Ooh. where screens are being used to an amazing uh effect and i think yeah. that's the future now i think the fact they, they've kind of it's very similar isn't it to ratatouille in some way but it's just kind of on steroids the technology they've used yeah exactly i think it's, it's physical and it, the only element that's really that different is the fact that it's a kind of water ride yeah i think i think you're going to see screens more for things that are difficult to do uh, with props. So I think now, if they if they did the Jeweling Pirates now, saying Pirates of the Caribbean, I don't think you'd do them anymore. I think you'd put a screen there. Yeah, it's not going to be like a full-scale screen as big as a room, is it? It's going to be like just that section, or they're not going to... I know in some areas, especially of the Shanghai Pirates, they've got really big screens, but then some of that's next to really big physical props, which kind of, it just all merges together. Yeah, I think thing that Shanghai have done with the pirates is that there's a lot of there's some big screens but there's also some physical props that have so like a boat the boat's actually there but there's like the screens and the windows now the bit that there's two sections of that and I know we're going away off topic from Ratatouille but there's two sections on the Shanghai pirates video which really get me I really love it um it's gonna be hard for me to explain them now and I've built them up but there's <laughs> one of the I can't remember whereabouts it is either but you're kind of floating along to it looks like something's happening on the screen and then the screen either moves up or opens up and you go into another scene yeah and they kind of does it ring a bell yeah and then you, you kind of you don't it, it's just so seamless and the fact that you, the screens have opened but you can't even tell because there's some more action in front of that or behind that as well yeah so i think i think the ratatouille ride is probably the most screen-based you're going to see from disney i think going forward it will be this sort of mix. I think it will work really well. Yeah. The other bit of the Shanghai Pirates is the um, Captain Jack Sparrow when he's initially oh, a skeleton. Yeah. And then amazing. he transforms into the animatronic. Yeah, that's that's breathtaking. Which is obviously probably... People are saying it could be a mixture of Pepper's Ghost, which you'll see in uh, Phantom Manor, and animatronic and screen technology. So it's again, it's a mixture of the really old animatronic but a modern-day version, the old Pepper's Ghost technique and the ultra-modern screen, 4K, probably ultra-HD. Yeah. But yeah, again, I, I would, I've, I've mentioned this 
and Ratatouille is a unique attraction to Disneyland Paris, and I love that. And I think I would hate for the Shanghai Pirates, and obviously it's not going to happen because we've got our own uh, classic Pirates, but just to bring it over completely. Yeah, um, I, I, I like the fact that they can take new attractions, so whether it be a Beauty and the Beast-style attraction where, again, there's transforming from the real humans to the characters could they could incorporate animatronic Pepper's Ghost. They could use similar technology and do that. Yeah, and if, if uh, Disney fancied to bring a Beauty and the Beast ride to Disneyland Paris, you'd have my full backing. <laughs> now, Jeff said it, so make it happen. Tokyo is getting one, and they're in Tokyo. Paris should have a Beauty and the Beast ride. It's in France. It just makes sense. Now, we've had a few... Uh, well, our friend Luke Bream, uh, NIDLP geek on Twitter, he has just literally, like yesterday or the day before we recorded his podcast, he's been in Disneyland Paris. Um, but a few... Well, probably more than a year ago now. I don't know. Yeah, two, a couple of years ago. November 2014. November the 4th, 2014. He wrote an article which me and Jeff are probably not going to agree with on most areas. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Luke. <laughs> I'm not going to read... Uh, it's, I've just noticed this as well. I've just thought about this. Luke's quite good at getting, not an argument, but a really good discussion going. Because I know he really doesn't like spring either, the spring season. Well, um, he's wrong on that too. <laughs> so if you ever want an argument about Disneyland Paris, if you go to Luke, you'll definitely get one there. Yeah, if if, if you if you think something's good uh, or maybe bad, just tell him and he'll take the opposite viewpoint. <laughs> Which isn't a bad thing. It's something that I do in everyday life just to get make life interesting. Yeah, yeah the title of his article is Ratatouille, an unsavoury dish of lost potential. So a, already it sounds very positive. <laughs> it's a fantastic bit. It's a fantastic title. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is available on nidlpgeek.wordpress.com. Con? Com? He's <laughs> inconning you. One euro, one euro. <laughs> I'll say it again in case you missed that. nidlpgeek.wordpress.com. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says it's several. He wrote this several months since um, Ratatouille opened its doors, um, and the popularity has not decreased yet. He says that he doesn't really do trips, well, queues of 60 mates or more, but he's done this because obviously he heard so many good things about the trip and about the attraction, sorry. Um, I'm just kind of skipping through blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> my biggest criticism for Ratatouille has got to be the technological aspect of the attraction. Now, for me, as a really big geek and love technology, that's the kind of bit that gets me interested in this attraction. Yeah, um, exactly. I think I think that's the same for a lot of people. This is a big technology ride. Yeah. Now, it says, surprising as it, as it is, uh, something wildly praised by others almost unanimously. Um, as those lucky enough to have experienced the attraction will know, Imagineers have used 3D, blah, 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 we know all that. Um, <laughs> it's clear that they hope this to be a realistic comparison to the actual, instead of actually building gigantic sets. Um, now, I don't think you could get this, if you even if you had really big sets, you wouldn't get the same feeling, would you? Because the, the sets that they create, you wouldn't actually be able to ride down a window or jump onto a table or go under something that really that big. So exactly. as much as it's possible... Financially, it's just not doable. Yeah, it's, you wouldn't be able to tell that story um, any other way, really. I think you know the idea of jumping from the rooftops, unless you're going to make it a roller coaster, then all of a sudden the kids can't ride. Now he, he starts by saying, well, kind of continues by saying, in reality, he was treated to an obvious projection screen. It is obvious, um, but I kind of think you get, I think you get immersed enough that it doesn't 
have to be an issue that it is a screen that you're in front of. They jud the Ratmobiles judder for a few moments, and he says he didn't actually feel any movement. He didn't feel I like he was moving. I, I both understand this and don't understand this. Um, the first time I wrote it, I definitely felt the movement. Uh, but going back more and more and more, I think sometimes I feel the movement, but other times I feel static. Yeah. So, like you say, I get what he's saying. Um, but then just to say that there's... Like, part of me feels that the movement, even if it's slight, and the weight and the motion that's on the screen, and the fact that it's in 3D, and then sometimes you get the 4D effects, I think all of it together does make you believe that you are moving. Yeah, it's but all I can so see much. if you kind of sorry, go on. It's all like in a nice package. Yeah, but if you take each bit separately, I can see why you'd think, well, I'm not moving. That's only a little bit of bouncing up and down. That's only a 3D screen that you can see anywhere. So by picking it apart, you can kind of agree with what Luke's saying here. But I don't agree with it. <laughs> I think I think sometimes different people experience movement in different ways, and I think some people are more susceptible to the movement than other people. Um, yeah. Now, another element from this review might be that by the time Luke went on the attraction, maybe there was a couple of bits not working that day, because uh, he, he talks about he um, failed to experience on both occasions of his of the attraction experience that of the smell. And he also said that he, like, some of the stuff he was experiencing, he was just about ready to go to the next scene. So it's kind of a safe. Not if some if one of the elements goes wrong or doesn't work or there's a little bit of an issue, it can affect people's opinions on attractions which is also why we shouldn't just take what we believe is true and what luke's believing as incorrect because on that day that might have been a true reflect a true reflection of the attraction yeah i think that's quite possible and you know i think i think a lot of it was made of the smell and i think if you're looking for the smell and you know that run out of smell whoops no snow most no no, uh, no smell today you know i think you would go well hang on a minute but I think if you're the average guest who doesn't know that that smell's coming, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Now, I know a lot of people, um, followers on Twitter and on uh, other social media platforms, a lot of people, like well, Simon, for example, he's not listening to this podcast. He's not on the podcast today because he doesn't want to spoil the attraction. So in some ways, he won't be disappointed when he's there because he'll be taking everything in for the first time. Whereas if you, like I did, and probably like Luke's done, if you've read into things, you've watched videos, you've looked at what people have reacted to and said, oh, wow, the smells for this, the movement of this. And if you don't get that same effect or you kind of see it in a slightly different way, it probably could spoil the yeah. ride for you. Yeah, and I, I almost sometimes wonder how I'd have felt if I had to wait to go on this ride. Um, I was lucky that I think I was... It was two days in or something like that, so I hadn't read anything because I got to Disneyland Paris on the Thursday of that week, and it was on the Sunday we got to ride it, uh, and I was so busy having fun doing other bits and pieces that I didn't look at all these on-ride photos and videos and things, so when I wrote it, I was completely blown away because I knew nothing. Even though I did, I, I looked at everything, I watched everything that was available, and it didn't ruin it for me i think part of i like knowing what's supposed to be happening so i can take it in a lot more and make a, a real judgment on it whereas if it shocks you you kind of miss it and it's gone you kind of you, you take you take it in a little bit but i think i take it in more by knowing that something's coming maybe it's an odd way of looking at things maybe i shouldn't be prepared and i should just have a completely blank um ride experience without knowing any of information but in my opinion i like that and it looks like luke does that 
and didn't like it because he kind of some of the stuff doesn't live up to what he's heard or what he's built up in his own head. Each their own. Each Oh, definitely. That's that's a good thing about doing something like this. Everyone's got their own opinions. Everyone does things in different ways, which is why I think it's important. And I think I mentioned this in our last DLP chat to love each other, love each other's opinions, and just and go then with disagree it. with them. Then, yeah, <laughs> then stand all over them. <laughs> oh. What's the um, internet about a fight? <laughs> Uh, he didn't do Bistro uh, Sheremi, um, but from what he saw, he was still disappointed with the theming, which I'm quite surprised at. I think there's a slight darkening, and I I think when I first came off the ride, maybe I thought, oh, okay, is that it? But I think when you're in there, you, you understand it a lot more, and I think the only way to you know, really judge the restaurant is to try it. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's the same with just about everything as well. That's I think true. we can all have an opinion on something we've only seen a picture of or the inside of through a window. Yeah, but then once you've actually... Because I've never been inside the restaurant, so a lot of my opinions are, again, from what I've seen or what I've heard from other people. Um, to wrap it up, he said, um, Ratatouille will present itself on your plate with some of the best scenery Walt Disney Studios has to offer. That is, if you're okay with taking the chicken exit before boarding. Once you take a bite, however, and get into that Ratmobile, it turns into an unsavoury dish of immersion-breaking flaws that genuinely left me puzzled as to how anyone can rank it as the best attraction in Disneyland Paris. It really pains me to say this, but in my honest opinion, Ratatouille is a bad attraction. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I don't agree. Yeah, I think it's... This is one of those um, kind of moments again. It's kind of a TripAdvisor type thing or an Amazon review type situation where yeah. you, you're going to have maybe 100 people saying how amazing it is, five stars. You'll get one person. And again, I'm not saying that Luke is wrong. In my opinion, <laughs> following what I believe, I think he's wrong. But then from what he's seen in his eyes and from his ears and from his nose, it, it might be that he's correct. Yeah, I think we all have our own opinions. Um, I think my opinion is that it's probably the best attraction if we take it as a package, as yeah. in everything that's in the Plaster Remy in the Walt Disney Studios Park by far. Oh, definitely in the Walt Disney Studios Park, yeah. Which is quite difficult to say because I like the Tower of Terror as well, but I think yeah. as the whole package comes, that's better. I think Tower of Terror is lacking some kind of restauranty kind of area or pubby thing, which I think they're doing... Where is he? I keep forgetting now. Is that California as well? Yeah. Or Disney Studio. Uh, or maybe it's in... World. Yeah, I think it might be I in can't remember now. <laughs> but if you want to know about that, look it up on the internet. You'll find it somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, me, me and Google Simon... It. <laughs> Google it, yeah. Me and Simon mentioned this on our Tower of Terror podcast. I think that was the only thing that was lacking. Some kind of restaurant or something you could actually go in and sit down and take more of the, the theme in, making it a bigger area rather than just the actual tower itself. Yeah, and um, making the whole the street, I think, less flat. Yeah. So just take up the whole of that street and actually theme that part of the Tower of Terror experience. Oh, yeah, I, I think that could, that could easily be a really lovely area of the park as well. Yeah. But to go back to what uh, Luke is saying, I'll just repeat those words. Luke Breen believes that Ratatouille is a bad attraction. At NID, NIDLP Geek, for all the hate mail, uh, don't send it our way. <laughs> oh, no, don't, we, we're not saying this. We're just uh, we're just using his words to get across his message. At NI underscore DLP underscore Geek. 
I just so, had to get that out just to make sure. Just to make sure you correctly email or tweet the right person, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wanted to put it in there, though. It was <laughs> could it could have been easy for us to take it out, but obviously this is when we ask for your opinions, we want your opinions, your true opinions. So it gets as the, long as they match ours. As long, yeah, normally as long as they match <laughs> ours. Yeah. But no, I wanted to do it because it was so obvious that he doesn't like the attraction. Um, exactly. Is there anybody else out there that does agree, though? Let us know at Magical DLP or at DLP Town Square. Do you agree? Do you not like the attraction? Is there a reason why? Um, I wonder if Luke was to do the attraction again, maybe with you and me, would he change his opinion once while we're standing there going, wow, I remember well, that. I, I, love I think that. we'll have to do the three of us a trip to uh, to Disneyland Paris to do Ratatouille during spring. Yeah. Did you? That, that would be he would love absolute that, wouldn't nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot what the park was called then as well, didn't you? Because you kind of went, we have to do a trip to... Uh, that place. Disney. Oh, Disneyland Paris, that's what I talk about sometimes. Yeah, I've been known to chat about that. <laughs> On Twitter, it's quite amazing how when I say, um, I feel like I'm quite being quite rude here, but I'm not meant to be. When I say email us at this address with your opinions, it, I always, I don't know, we have an email, I can keep track of it a little bit easier, and it can, you've got 140 characters on a tweet, so... It's not always the best way of describing your opinions on something. But we're happy to receive tweets about it. Um, but on the tweet that I sent out about asking for an email, we had about four or five replies via Twitter. Uh, Hoodsy at Duffy Does Disney. Uh, she said, film great, restaurant and ride great. No meet and greet in plaster, Emmy, question mark. Unforgivable. <laughs> I think that's quite uh, an overwhelming uh, opinion there. But yeah, basically, it's, everything is amazing, apart from no meet and greet. I mean, like, as we've already discussed, I don't think it's an issue with it, of them putting one there. So it'd be nice to see if they do that in the future. Just it'd imagine. Be, it'd, be really, it'd be really cool to see Linguini and uh, Colette, even. Uh, yes. Because you've got the, the Vesper and stuff in the corner. Yeah, and if we're talking about uh, people being a bit unhappy that a rat's outside when you then get shrunk down to the size of a rat inside, that would stop that problem because two humans in the human world a human size would would kind of be okay wouldn't it yeah and let's be honest here woody's a bit big (laughs) (laughs) he is indeed nothing else to say about that one (laughs) nope stephanie at steph ross photo uh said on twitter they should they should have made it a lion king land that's my comment winky face well yeah I wouldn't mind some Lion King in the park, but I think there's a more there's a priority list in my head that's Lion King's not at the top. No, and I think Lion King works well in shows. I think you have a good Lion King show, and that's all good. Because uh, I don't see how well there's probably loads of ideas you could put into an attraction or some kind of dark ride or something like that. But I just feel there's a lot of there's a lot better franchises or IPs out there which you could make a lot better use out of. I mean, I've already mentioned Beauty and the Beast as one of them. Yeah, and if you want a really big franchise that will just bring big numbers now to Disneyland Paris, uh, Frozen. Frozen, yep, underused. Uh, Nathan at Baldock77. One of our favourites in studios. We rode it four times in March as our four-year-old girl adored it. What better reason to love her an attraction? I think it's a perfect reason. Definitely. I remember taking my son Noah a few years ago now, 2014, just before uh, Ratatouille opened, and I remember taking my camera and pointing it over the fence and under the fence to get some photographs. Um, but my opinion of the park has completely changed uh, when I took Noah, because obviously he's seen different elements of it in a different way than what I've seen them, and 
what he loved about the park then kind of changed my opinion on what I liked as well. So it, I can see how if you've got a, a four-year-old girl who loved it, then that's going to be one of the reasons why it's your one of your favourite attractions. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Apart from all the wonderful technology and everything that's in there as well. So you don't have to have children to enjoy things. Yeah, it's like sometimes you go and you say, you know, oh, the kids enjoyed it. But in reality, you're saying, I loved it myself. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a good excuse. Because I know when um, I tweeted you about you saying you were watching the film and I said, oh, it's, I seem to watch it every other week or so um, as it's part of Scounding Man Sky Movies. When it's on Sky Movies, I always seem to watch it, even though I've got it on Blu-ray. But anyway, that's a different discussion. <laughs> um, yeah, you kind of said yes, but that's okay because you've got a son, so it's kind of an excuse to watch it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, when it came to that uh, the Disney Infinity game, a lot of people said, you know, you know, oh, this is definitely for my kid. <laughs> yeah, as they're buying a basket full of uh, little figures that can go on their uh, Disney Infinity game. Exactly. <laughs> Same with the... Um, Lego Disney minifigures? Oh, no, they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Noah, no, no. Noah took mine to the till. He handed them over. It wasn't me. Um, Michelle Schroeder at MM Schroeder on Twitter. Not a huge fan of the movie, but love the innovative ride. It gives me motion sickness, but I do it anyway. So as, much, nice. as, much, as much as the ride makes her physically sick, she still loves the ride anyway. That's, and even that's and, the best endorsement. Yeah. Even the then, ride makes me want to throw up, but I still love it. The ride makes Luke want to throw up, and he hates it. So at least Michelle's doing a little bit better than Luke. <laughs> now, um, the last thing we're going to mention before we wrap this podcast episode up is iTunes reviews. We haven't had many recently. It's probably because we haven't had as many podcasts as we'd like out. But 2016, we're doing a lot better. I can't remember how many we've done this year so far, but we've done a lot more this year already than we had in the whole of 2015. So we are doing a lot more podcasts, so we'll keep it up for you, as long as you send us some reviews. So if you would like to read our review out for us, please, Jeff. Kind of, you know, you're reading it on behalf of all the fans of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast out there. All the legions of fans. So this one, I think, is from Australia. It definitely is. Good eye, mate. That... I think this just needs to be less stars now. I think you just need to take a star off for the accent. <laughs> well, how many uh, stars was it? It was five. Damn, so now it's only four. We've actually got a 100% five-star rating, I think. That's great. In Australia? Uh, well, that's probably the only one. No, the whole of the world. <laughs> Best Disneyland podcast... Uh, uh, Try again. Best, I will. <laughs> Best Disneyland podcast of any. That's by Nels 902 The hosts are likeable. You know, yeah, they're all right. Uh, <laughs> and have a genuine love for Disneyland, rather than just whinging about stuff they'd like to see. The format of the episodes works great, where they review the, where they review the what the Imagineers tried to capture and how they executed it. It's like reviewing a movie or album, except they review rights. My only complaint is that there's too few episodes, and you can blame Andrew for that. <laughs> it's been, now, now I've managed to record things on a Thursday, which I don't know why. Thursdays have always existed, even before I was born. But originally, I only contacted Simon and said, right, it's a weekend. There's nobody in the house because everyone's out partying somewhere, even the even the four-year-old's partying, and I'm not. <laughs> um, so I, I always used to do it kind of when I was on my own, had the house to myself. I could talk and make as much noise as possible. But I've realised that when Mrs. Williamson is downstairs, you can't hear a thing. There you go. And it just came to me the other week when we'd done... Um, the uh, episode 12 of the podcast so now 
I can record nearly all the time. So you might actually regret saying that there's only there's too few episodes because by the time 2016 is finished, there'll be no attractions left and there'll be no more podcasts. Well, that'll be it. That's <laughs> it. You have to move on to restaurants or um, bars. Reviewing bars. Each, each bar separately. Um, we've got each each type of transport. We could do that one. Each different individual yellow bus. Each toilet, cubicle. Yeah, that would be a great series. Get on it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so now it's time for me to kind of wrap this up. I'll say a thank you to you in a second, Jeff, so hold your horses right there. Um, the focus of the next episode of the Magical DLP podcast will see me and Simon. He'll be back, unless this is a spoiler as well, because I know he hasn't stayed here. Uh, we're <laughs> going to be discussing Disney's Hotel Cheyenne. Now, when I've discussed this with Simon, because he hasn't stayed at the Hotel Cheyenne, I have quite a lot of times, it's kind of going to be my opinion from the side of somebody staying there and Simon's going to kind of be asking me the questions and saying, well, wouldn't that be better or that kind of thing. So it kind of gives it a nice balance with somebody who hasn't stayed there versus somebody that has. Um, so let us know your opinions on this property, on Property Hotel. Email us at podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk. You can message us on Twitter, Facebook, or on our brand new look website, magicaldlp.co.uk. The plan is once it's all up and running properly and people can register right now if you haven't done so already the plan is to put a little forum on there it's not going to be I don't want it to be the only place to go to discuss Disneyland Paris because that's ridiculous but it's going to be a nice little place that you can leave comments if you'd want to say something more than 140 characters and you're scared of email because it's a foreign technology because believe it or not a lot of people don't use email anymore that's insane I use it daily if you speak to anybody that's probably under 18, the only time they'll use email is to sign something, like sign up for something. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Just get, just, it just, it's basically a spam collector. It's taking all the spam from the world and just put it into one place. Here's what you do, guys. You get a Google account. That's where your spam goes. Yep. There you go. That's, that's it. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of thought this website, it's kind of... The way that it's created is more like a social network for Disneyland Paris fans. You can add friends, you can set up little groups. Um, so you can do all your bitching that you want in the private of your own little group. Because <laughs> um, I know that, again, people don't, some people don't like the fact that if you're on a face group, Facebook group, then it's your own persona, your individual account, and people might try and add you and stuff like that. So what it kind of is, this magical Disneyland Paris social network type a forum which I've put together. It's a little bit, a little bit of an experiment, but it's, it is a place where you could, in private, just stick to Disneyland Paris chat. Nothing else. If anything, it's going to be a place where you can either complain about Luke's opinions on Ratatouille. Um, you can discuss anything you like about the upcoming episode of our podcast, um, and also ask us questions for any future podcast episode. And before we finish, and before we say goodbye and a big thank you for Jeff, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We are on other podcast services as well. I think TuneIn and Stitcher and other um, things like that. Also, new to this podcast, a plug for DLP Chat. If you follow hashtag DLP Chat on Twitter, there is actually a Twitter account I created so nobody could steal one, but we're not using that just yet. Uh, that's in case we get bigger and people want to contact us that way. But me, Jeff, who's on the podcast tonight, and Steve from Arrival, dedicated to DLP podcast, You, we get together on, uh, it's actually Google Hangouts we use, but you can watch us live on YouTube, and it's a really good place to discuss Disneyland Paris. It's a great place to discuss Disneyland Paris. It's always a lot of fun as well, and everybody gets involved. 
So yeah, I if you have a laugh. We have a well, we have a very good laugh. And if you're quite animated on the um, live video chat, you may end up getting turned into a GIF as well. Yes, and if you search Disney, your GIF will be there. Yeah, if you search for Disney or DLP <laughs> or Disneyland Paris. Um, in fact, if you search for basically any word, because I spent an hour typing in loads <laughs> of tags, you will find us dancing around like idiots on uh, the pod on the GIF app, or doing princess poses as a as I see quite often. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, you're always flying around as a princess. <laughs> I see that more than anything else now. It's actually overtaken nearly um, Mark as a little bunny rabbit. It seems to oh, be the man. GIF in everyone's timeline at the moment. Really? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> but yeah um, is there any, anything you want to plug I know I mention this every time we discuss anything with you on DLP chat or anything at all but people hopefully will know you by now but do you want to mention where they can find you or contact you, you? Find, sure yeah you can find me on Twitter at DLP Town Square uh, I also have a website which is linked on my Twitter so you can just go find me there and click a link and it all seems there we go uh, thank you very much for joining us today for this special episode. Thank you very much for having me. It's been good fun. Yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode 13 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast. And until next time, it's time to say goodbye. Are you not saying goodbye? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that bit in. <laughs> It's over, little chef. I can't do it anymore.